Good morning. It is a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I am Glenn. He is Griffin. Gambling can be fun, but you should set a limit and stay within it. And remember that if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. A lot to do in a few minutes. Len Elmore, Maryland legend. He was on the call Saturday as Terps took out Penn State at home. They now get ready for Purdue, who will not be the number one team in the country. When they come to town on Thursday night, we will talk Terps with Len Elmore here in just a few minutes. Obviously, a lot of Super Bowl conversation this morning. Jeremy Kahn will join us a little bit later on. Also, it was a wild weekend in college lacrosse, man. Crazy weekend. The hell of a way to start this season. Duke losing to Jacksonville. Air Force taking out Denver. And locally, Johns Hopkins with a stunning win over Georgetown. Loyola ending a 19-game win streak for the University of Maryland, handing them their first regular season loss since before the pandemic. We'll talk with Matt Hughes, Loyola defender, about uh, that incredible victory. And, boy, i got to be honest, it's not a bad time to be old GC because I go right from doing Loyola Maryland on Saturday to Loyola Hopkins this coming Saturday. It's a pretty pretty good little start to the lacrosse season for your pal. And, um I look forward to that a great deal this coming Saturday, Loyola and Hopkins. Of course, Hopkins has to play Carolina tomorrow in order to make sure that it's you know they stay unbeaten and it's a, a real kind of showdown game at that point. But should be another insane crowd. God, we had over 3,000 people at Ridley Athletic Complex on Saturday. It was a mob scene, as I expected, and the weather cooperated enough given that it was mid-February. It was just an awesome, awesome atmosphere for Maryland, Loyola, and a huge win for the Greyhounds. Uh, of course, we're going to be talking a ton of Super Bowl. I'll just get it out of the way here, and then we'll we'll have more room for Super Bowl conversation later on in the hour after we talk to Len Elmore. But the only thing I like, I want to talk about, and I'm going to write today about what I think I learned most about the Super Bowl, and I think that there are Ravens-esque conversations to be had. The only thing that warrants no conversation, and of course I'm going to give it a few minutes of conversation here, but the only thing that warrants no more than that is what happened at the end of the game. And I, and I say that knowing that y- if you guys have listened to me long enough, you know that when I think there's a bad call, I would say, yeah, sure, it was a bad call. There's also you know, 59 minutes and 57 seconds worth of football that was played, and that's not what determined the game, and there are bad calls all the time, and you're illuminating one and ignoring six others that might have gone the way. That's not even what I'm saying here. Everyone is showing their ass. Not everyone. A lot of people are showing their ass. It wasn't just that this didn't determine the game. It's that it wasn't a bad call. It's that it was perfect. And I say that as a guy who was heartbroken because I played the Eagles multiple different ways last night. Heartbreaking. It was, they nailed it. It, honest to God, after going back and looking at it a couple more times, isn't just not a bad call. It's one of the greatest calls an official has ever had the nuts to make in a big situation. Because it's indisputable. It's, there's, there's no even argument for it being a bad call. For the record, um, Carl Sheffers explained afterwards that it was the first contact that drew the flag. But as 
in watching the replay a hundred times, you realize there were multiple attempts to grab and slow down Juju Smith-Schuster because if you watched Juju Smith-Schuster, the play design was phenomenal. Had James Bradbury beat and was going to be wide open. Wide open. Now, again, it wasn't egregious. And the argument that people are making, the only argument, there's no argument about whether or not it was a good call. It was a brilliant call. The only argument that anybody can attempt to make is, well, but I just don't want the game to be decided by that. Of course, that's the dumbest thing you could ever possibly say because it would be like saying, I'm okay with the fact that Nikhil Roby Coleman in the 2019 NFC Championship game wasn't called for pass interference because I don't want the game to be decided by that. You wanted to play football for 58 minutes, and then the final two minutes you just want there to be no rules? Well, the, the, that was definitely that was egregious, though. The, the, it's not the a matter of whether or not it's egregious. Juju Smith-Schuster had James Bradbury beat. He was getting to the outside. Bradbury was beat. Not because he did anything wrong, because the play design was that good. It was an incredibly designed play, because I'm not sure if you've heard, the Kansas City Chiefs are really good at that. It was an incredibly designed play. It got Juju Smith-Schuster to the corner and had him open, wide open. Would it definitely have been completed had there not been the contact? It's impossible to know. Did Patrick Mahomes throw the ball in a way particularly to draw attention to the contact? Maybe. There is no debate at all about whether or not he grabbed him twice, which, of course, James Bradbury admitted afterwards because what else are you going to say when we can all see it? Nah, I didn't do that. Really, dog? And I respect the James Bradbury for not being the guy to go up there and try to bitch about officiating. Instead, say, look, I was trying to get away with it. Which is what, you know, I say he should do in that situation. The argument is that he shouldn't have done. The argument is that he should have just given up a touchdown because the Eagles would have still had life and as opposed to getting the ball back with eight, six seconds left and having no life. This thing that you're doing is projecting disappointment. Your disappointment is either that you were rooting for the Eagles, you bet on the Eagles, or it was a really good game and you wanted the game to end in some sort of remarkable way and you're disappointed that instead the defining play of the game was a penalty. And I get that disappointment. I get why it's a bit of a letdown for what was otherwise a classic Super Bowl played on the field to have the defining play of the game be a penalty. It's a bummer. It's a letdown. But the notion that in the final two minutes the officials are supposed to abandon the rule, it's hilarious, hilarious how inconsistent we are about this. It's hilarious how we will take every hold that isn't called in the final two minutes when our team loses and says, well, what about this, you know? But then when they officiate the game and they call a flag on what was definitively a correct call, we scream about how they shouldn't have called a flag. Uh, let the players determine the game, not, not the official. No, the players did determine the game. James Bradbury impeded Juju Smith-Schuster twice 
from getting around the corner where he would have been wide open. If it hadn't been called, would we? If be it up hadn't in arms like been this? called, everybody in Kansas City would definitely be up in arms about it. But that's not the standard. The standard isn't what we want in the moment. The standard is what is the correct call. And there's no debate, none, about whether or not they made the correct call. It's insane that we're trying to make it seem like it was somehow controversial. Nothing controversial about it. It's the exact opposite. I couldn't believe In the moment, much like the rest of the country, in the moment, I started to feel something. I'm like, oh, man. And then I went back and I watched it and I said, oh, my God, they nailed this. Like, they nailed it. 1,000%. There is no question about what happened on that play. Again, if you're rooting for the Eagles, you want there to be a question about it. There's not, but you want there to be. If you bet the Eagles, you want there to be a question about it because you're frustrated. There's no question. And if you're in that camp where you just want to see the Super Bowl end on some magical play of some sort, you're disappointed by it. But the notion that you should just abandon the rules, there should be no rules whatsoever in the final two minutes. Nonsense. The highest form of nonsense. James Bradbury knows exactly what he did, and he knows why he did it. Because he knows that if he hadn't, Juju Smith-Schuster was going to be wide open. There was no one anywhere close to him. The play design was so good. Tip your cap to the Kansas City Chiefs, man. Tip your cap to Andy Reid, obviously. Tip your cap to Patrick Mahomes. I hear those guys are good. I'm writing today at PressBoxOnline.com about what I think we learn, what I think we take from Super Bowl 57 as far as the Ravens are concerned. We'll talk more about that throughout the course of the of the morning. I do believe there are lessons to be learned. I think it's a reminder that you ain't getting over the hump in the AFC by moving on from Lamar Jackson. Imagine watching that game last night and being like, yeah, you see, this is why I think Derek Carr's got a real good chance of, of winning the AFC next year for the Baltimore. I mean, imagine. We'll talk more about that throughout the course of the morning. We're also going to talk some Terps this morning. They got a nice uh, win on Saturday afternoon at home over Penn State, and our next guest was on the call. It was always It's always wonderful to have him back in College Park. He is truly a legend, and I know he's a very busy man, so appreciate Fox Sports Big Ten Network analyst Len Elmore for joining us this morning here on GCR. Len, it's Glenn. It's always good to catch up with you, my friend. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us, as always. Not a problem, Glenn. You know, I, I, I don't know what to say. It wasn't like Maryland was perfect on Saturday, but it was kind of the story of their season, right? At home, they're a really good basketball team. When they defend, they can be a pretty good basketball team, and they just sort of figure out a way to be competitive and, and win games. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what else there is to say about it. <laughs> you know, they, they did what they had to do. Um, you know, I, I think the thing about this team, they're talented. Um, they have to understand their identity and who they are. And when they're, you know, going downhill, attacking the rim, 
penetrations, uh, maximizing pain opportunities, you know, either by going into the post or, you know, uh, Jameer Young penetrating, Hakeem Hart penetrating, putting pressure on the defenses, they're great. But when they, you know, start settling for threes, uh, you know, challenge threes, uh, threes that are coming from lateral passes instead of inside out, where, you know, they're not lining up and they're not great shooters, you know, when they overburden themselves with those kinds of shots offensively, you know, they, they have trouble. And uh, quite honestly, their defense has been the most consistent element. Uh, the pressure defense is, is giving them an identity on that side. So, you know, once they understand who they are, you know, I, I think they're, they're formidable and, you know, could probably do some postseason damage. You know, can I, I don't know if you noticed this at all, Lynn, but something that I specifically noticed on Saturday a few times, that whoever was bringing the ball up, whether it was Jameer or Hakeem, whoever was bringing the ball up, and when they were settling into a half-court offense, there were multiple times during that game where I noticed that they were running the offense from inside the three-point line, which I, to me, and maybe it was just happenstance, but it almost spoke to what you're talking about, a team that almost kind of recognizes hey, we're a really bad three-point shooting team. We're one of the worst three-point yep. shooting teams in the country. Let's do some different things. And just taking a few steps in, I thought we saw some more creative in-the-paint hook shots. I thought we saw some more creative ways to going about taking advantage of what they do, running the offense inside the three-point line. Yeah, I mean, you get cutters who now recognize that they're going to get the ball if they cut to the basket as the defenses have to adjust. Um, you know, I know the game has evolved into, you know, this three-point contest for yeah. a lot of teams. But the teams that understand who they are, if they're not great three-point shooters, you know, I, uh, in bringing the ball up one pass uh, and shooting challenge threes, you recognize you, you get the defense out of position uh, by, you know, trying to attack the rim. And then it opens up wide-open opportunities for threes. And, and Maryland recognized that. You know, I, I think in the first half, what did they shoot uh, – from beyond the arc, they shot like four uh, of 11, yeah. which was a good shot, but then two of five in the second half, only five three-pointers because they didn't need it. Even though Penn State, you know, made a bit of a run at them, they started to recognize that you keep the pressure on the defense. They ultimately fouled out Miles Dredd, who had kind of hurt them a little bit, put a lot of pressure on some of the other guys and, you know, came out with the win. He is Len Elmore. He's with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. Len, as, as you've kind of watched this team and preparing for this broadcast, saw him on Saturday, can you define what you think the impact of Kevin Willard has been on the floor? Like, you know, obviously when it, there's a coach, we talk about culture and all of those things they're bringing and recruiting impact. But on the floor, can you define, and you, I'm sure you did plenty of Seton Hall games with FS1 over the years, what his actual on-the-floor impact is as a head coach? Yeah, I mean, I think Kevin is somebody who understands. He understands matchups. Um, you know, he understands how to deploy, you know, particular players. You know, he does a great job. They, they, you know, they don't have, a, they don't have a, a long bench. But, you know, he gets guys in who are ultimately going to, you know, give him uh, what he needs against a particular team. And, and overall, I think that the pressure defense, um, that, that allows them to play up-tempo, allows them to get in a transition. You know, that's the trademark of his, and he's got these guys that believe it. I, I think there's no doubt about it. To your point, like Patrick Emelian is playing serious minutes for this team, and, you know, he's not much of an offensive weapon, but even he can really help out defensively, especially given, 
you know, how short they are, not only everywhere, but particularly in the front court, it seems like he's made a serious difference by going in and giving them real defending minutes in the front court this season. Yeah, Emilian is one of those guys, as I said, he matches up well, he's experienced. I'll tell you, the other guy who didn't get a lot of time last year but has started to blossom is Ian Martinez. I mean, you're allowed to use his athleticism on both sides of the floor. And, and, you know, Kevin recognized that, and he's given him a ton of minutes as well. You know, I think it's the the point that we're making about them being a poor three-point shooting team, Lynn. I feel like a lot of people would say, well, this is why – there's going to be a limitation for this Maryland team. And for what it's worth, I certainly don't think they're going to end up being a Final Four team or anything like that. But I'm looking around the Big Ten, and, of course, we see Northwestern beat Purdue yesterday. We've always said, hey, it's Purdue and then everybody else. But outside of Zach Eady, who I get is an alien, I've always thought that Purdue was (laughs) mostly an everything-else type of team. Like, I I don't know who they can't beat in the Big Ten. I don't know – why there's a limitation for them within this conference, even given all of these, th- you know, lack of depth, poor three-point shooting. It seems like they're right in there with just about everybody else in this league. Yeah, and again, we talk about three-point shooting. I would discount that. They, If they understand when to shoot the ball, uh, if they get the kind of open looks off of penetration and, you know, where they're not challenged, they're a reasonably good three-point shooting team. You know, so you throw out the bad shot. And after that, you know, they can rebound with, with teams. They certainly can create turnovers and get points off turn, turnovers in transition. Um, you know, they can do a lot of good things that, that present a lot of problems for every team in this conference. As you said, Zach Eady might be the, the, um, the one point that they might not be able to match, although – Julian Reese seemed to rise the occasion. Last game, he had 19 um, and, and, you know, kind of almost neutralized Edie and, and Terps almost came up with a win, you know, in, in Purdue. So we'll see what happens Thursday. But overall, everybody else, when you take a look you know, on a neutral court in, in the Big Ten uh, tournament, um, you know, I think the sky's the limit for this team. You know, with that said, I, I heard this from a few people yesterday. They were almost disappointed that Purdue lost to Northwestern because – it, it, maybe it wakes them up or whatever going into a game against Maryland. What do you make of that weird concept that you'd rather not have a team as good as Purdue lose their game going into your big matchup with them on Thursday night? Ah, that's crazy. That's <laughs> <laughs> all I can say about that. That's nuts. I, I mean, I get it. Like, I, I understand, and I, I know you're right because you're approaching it from whatever happened the last game. It doesn't matter at all for what happens this game. I do think it's worth pointing out to, to what you said, not only Julian Reese, the way that he played against Purdue, like Maryland held Purdue to 58 points when they played on the road, despite the fact they got off to a dreadful start in that game on the road, battled back to make it a three-point game. Like, there's no world. I, I haven't even looked to see what the line is, but there's no world where I think this is a game that Maryland couldn't win on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, when you take a look at that game, both teams shot under 40% from the field. Uh, Maryland did a pretty good job, uh, you know, of limiting Purdue from the three-point line. Neither one of them shot well from the three-point line. It, you know, Maryland was three for 21, Purdue two of, of 13. That three for 21 is something I'm sure that the Terps would want to rethink. But, yeah, I mean, they, they matched them pretty well. Um, you know, the only thing I think the difference in that game was Purdue getting to the free-throw line. Uh, a lot more than Maryland did. But but other than that, you know, the match was, was pretty even, and, and I think it's going to be another defensive battle. 
and and Purdue, yeah, they're going to be awakened. But it, don't tell me that they wouldn't have been uh, cognizant of how well Maryland's playing had they beaten Northwestern sure. and, and gone to Xfinity. Yeah, it's going to be a mob scene on Thursday night. They would have they would have known all those things were coming. That's a very good point. Len, I, I just, in general, not only like uh, the micro, not only for the rest of this season, but the macro of the fact that it's already looked this good in year one and knowing the inroads that Kevin Willard and his staff have made in recruiting, particularly in local recruiting, how optimistic are you about the overall trajectory of this program right now? Well, I mean, I like where we're headed because I like the reputation that's being developed right now. Um, I, recruiting is going to be extraordinarily key because think of the guys that we're losing, um, I mean, at least potentially. Uh, you know, you're looking at Jameer Young may, may be gone, obviously probably gone as a transfer. You had guys that are going to leave here who are critical to the program now. So who replaces them is going to be extremely important. But again, you develop this reputation and this kind of momentum. And hopefully, you know, you can keep guys at home because the key players from Maryland are, are either from the, you know, DMV or pretty close, like Philadelphia and stuff. If you can command that area in recruiting, uh, that talent, um, you know, the, as I said, there, there's nothing but positives that you can think of going forward. But, again, it's really going to come down to the recruiting and, you know, who steps into the spots of guys that are going to vacate. You brought up Jameer Young, and I, I, it's always difficult for me because I think you and I have talked about this a lot over the years, Len. When somebody has an opportunity to go get paid to do what they do for a living, like I'm always going to say go do it, right? Like go, go make your money. But we do know that things have changed a little bit, and with NIL opportunities being what they are now in college basketball, you can, to at least some extent, get paid. I don't know that what the ceiling is for Jameer Young as a pro. It doesn't seem like the NBA is likely to be an option. You know, the G League maybe, probably overseas. Do you feel like maybe that, like things have changed? And if with NIL, if you are a Jameer Young, there is an argument for sticking around and doing another year, given the foundation that you've laid and the trajectory and what you could accomplish here. Like, do you feel like maybe things have changed for a player like him as far as what a decision might be? Yeah. Um, you know, in Jameer's case, I, I thought he was classified as a grad student. I'm not sure. I've I got to take a look at whether he's got another year of eligibility left. Um, you know, you look at Dante Scott, Hakeem Hart, guys like that. But, yeah, I mean, NIL certainly makes sense. Uh, you know, I hear people talking about uh, Baycott and Dickinson, the reason they stuck around is because of uh, NIL, which is total nonsense. When you take a look at the NBA draft boards, both of them were second round at best, mm -hmm. if not because of the way the game has changed. 20 years ago, you know, they might have been high draft picks, but the game has changed. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity if you can exploit, um, you know, that the, the, the name recognition and exploit your presence out there for – you know, the, the ability to, to make some dollars and still play college sports and continue to get an education, which, you know, let's, let's emphasize that. That's really the purpose you're there I, I know, uh, for. I, I know you care about that a little bit. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, but, it, but that's what it is. It's leadership development and, and, and educating you for, for going forward, um, even when those pro opportunities, <laughs> excuse me, don't present themselves. So, 
you know, fully take advantage of, of the the presence uh, on the floor that and in the school that, that that you can. And so, yeah, I mean, I think NIL makes a big difference in, in that regard and, you know, gives guys an opportunity to really, you know, get themselves focused on what life is going to be after, you know, their eligibility is up. Don't waste that time um, and get out of there without a degree. I, I I feel strongly about it, and look, I, I would I still feel differently if I'm Jameer Young and I'm got a chance to to go be on an NBA roster next season. Like I'm gone. Like I want that's that's the that's the point of all of this. But knowing, oh yeah, that's that's if not likely. If, if it's not likely, I just sort of feel like maybe there is something to be said for why not? Why not stick around one more year? To your point, the University of Maryland's not a bad place to be for furthering your opportunities beyond basketball. Len, with that in mind, before I let you go, and always appreciate the time, I know you would work very hard with the Knight Commission to make some suggestions. We're about to live in a world, I guess, last week. We now know that uh, the Oklahoma-Texas thing is happening a year earlier than we expected for the SEC. We're on the cusp of USC and UCLA being in the Big Ten and Maryland non-revenue sports traveling to the West Coast frequently during the course of the year, which is kind of bonkers to me. Are we anywhere closer to the NCAA considering what you guys had proposed as far as separating football from the rest of the sports? Well, I mean, when you ask if we're closer, I I think when you listen to some of the dialogue now from uh, athletic, certain athletic directors, even some some conference commissioners. I, I think people are mulling it over, which was it's a far cry from when we first proposed it and everybody poo-pooed it. Uh, people are starting to recognize that you know there might be some merit because it is a different animal. Uh, and, and let's face it, you know money is driving college sports. Uh, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube, but we still have ways where you know we can uh, make sure that the rights and, and capabilities and treatment of, of athletes who are also students, you know, are, are certainly put in the forefront. And, you know, let's try and take care of, of the people that are participating because, you know, first and foremost, that they are students and they're there to, to get an education and they're there to develop themselves and not be, um, you know, dragged down by mental health issues, by you know, issues that interfere with their uh, pursuit of, of a degree. So, so let's put them in the forefront as we continue to, you know, I, I guess change and, and this, this game, uh, even though it's driven by money. I'm with you. I'm with you. This was just brought up to me. I was going to let you go, Len, but uh, Dave says, did you kind of get after Maryland fans for some of their behavior on Saturday? Yeah, I, I, I was a little disappointed um, with the vulgarity. I mean, let, let's celebrate our players. Let's celebrate the win. Um, but but the vulgarity is aimed at, at the opposing team. You know, it's, it's, we're, we're at the University of Maryland, College Park. We're the Terps. We're class. We're dignity. Well, let's reflect that and stop that nonsense. You know, you get, you get outside forces. You know, I, I don't know who it is, these, you know, from um, websites and things like that that are kind of driving the attitude. We got to resist that and, and be, you know, the, the type of folks that, you know, we, we'd want our children and, and even the students ultimately would want their children to be and reflect. And I just didn't like it. I had to, I tried to put my hands up and tell them to quiet when they started hurling those vulgarities, but it's just not, it's just not right. It's not us. 
I, I, I think I appreciate what you're saying. You can create an intense atmosphere without that. Like, you can create an electric, raucous atmosphere without going the direction of screaming F-words or, you know, that type of name-calling towards other players. It's just not necessary. It's, to your point, childish. Like, I... And, and Glenn, it was, it was even after the fact the game was already in, uh, you know, the game was already decided. And then they started screaming that. You know, that's that kind of uh, rubbing it in, boasting. We don't need that. You know, leave that for other schools. You know, other schools and, and other conferences. We we know who we were talking about. And it's almost like we're trying to emulate them, and mm. we don't do it even as well. Mm. Mm. I, I um, Shots fired, Len Elmore. <laughs> it's, it's something that I would feel that way. Hey, what's uh, what's your schedule have for you in the coming weeks, my friend? Um, I, I'm working, man. I teach at Columbia University. I've got, uh, you know, some night commission meetings. I, I sit on a couple of public boards. My, my TV, uh, experience is, is over for this year. And, oh, you know, wow. it's been about 35 years that I've done this. And so I've, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to feel, I'm going to, you know, quietly go off in the sunset. One day I might be able to actually sit in the stands and enjoy a game without having to say a word. Man, we would love to have you hit down in College Park for that. But I, I'm glad we got you for this one before your season was over, Len Elmore. I'm glad we were able to squeeze in a Maryland game and have this conversation. It's at Len Elmore on Twitter. Uh, I always appreciate it. I know what a busy man you are. Thank you for taking the time for us this morning, my friend. And Whether you're doing this as a citizen or a professional, we're going to have these conversations again in the future, all right? It would be my pleasure. Thank you. Len Elmore, all-time Maryland great with us here on GCR after he was on the call Saturday for Maryland's win over Penn State. I didn't see that. I didn't see what was happening at the end of the game. So I got it. Somebody sent this to me from uh, Dave. He said uh, Len was getting after Maryland. I don't I don't know what the backstory was. There was – so, yeah, like about a minute left, like the game was in hand, and then the turf fans just started going F Penn State, just chanting it for really no reason. Man – and then uh look yeah. I, I certainly remember being in college right like and i i hate to say i definitely would have been one of those people at the time but i appreciate len elmore just sort of saying it just ain't necessary like you can be better than that celebrate enjoy a win i get it we don't like penn state i understand that and i understand that i end the show every day by saying duke sucks but i don't say the other thing like i do get what he's trying to say which is hey we want people to be able to bring their families to games we want this to be an atmosphere where we can be electric and we can be intense, but we don't have to have people say, I don't want to go to games. Respect. Respect. I'm with Len Elmore on that. Hey, the uh, hope you guys cleaned up on the big game. We'll talk about how we did here in a minute. I can't believe it. I, I, I haven't done all the math. I, hope, I don't know if you've done all the math. I, yeah, i got to relook at it. I'm safe. I know that much. I'm safe. Apparently, I'm not. Oh, well, I don't know what if you lost. I know I'm safe because of you. Oh, okay. Like, that's the only thing I know. You have kept me safe. I hope you cleaned up. There are plenty more things to bet on. For example, you can bet. Did you know you can bet on college lacrosse? You know, big game. Loyola Johns Hopkins coming up this Saturday. I can't bet on it because I work for Loyola. Not an option for me, but you could bet $5 and get $200 in instant bonus bets when you go to PressBoxOnline.com and sign up with DraftKings. This is your chance to have fun and make a few bucks betting on your favorite college lacrosse teams. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Click on DraftKings to get your $200 in lacrosse bonus bets. Uh, we're also going to head to Kansas City. Catch up with my friend Soren Petro from A10WHB. That's all on the way. It's Glenn Clark Radio. It is, I swear. I swear it is. 
I know it Gambling is. can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. There's something for everyone this February at Laurel Park. Come watch live horse racing every Friday through Sunday and join us on Saturday, February 18th for the Winter Stakes Spectacular featuring six stakes races and $900,000 in purses, including the General George and Barbara Fritchie Stakes. The fun doesn't stop there. Stick around for our Winter Mardi Gras celebration with live music, delicious food and drinks, and a carnival atmosphere. Plus, don't miss out on President's Day holiday racing on Monday, February 20th. Visit laurelpark.com for more info. That's laurelpark.com for more. See you at the track. Another Orioles season is in the books, and the bat around was there every step of the way as the Birds posted their first winning season in six years. And after promoting two number one overall prospects in Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, Mike Elias has said it's liftoff from here. Hi, I'm Paul Valley, and along with my co-host Zach Goodman, we'll be here every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon all off-season, discussing every signing, trade, and waiver claim as we navigate the cold winter months that lead to spring training. You can watch us at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports or listen live at pressboxonline.com slash radio. And if you miss a show, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. So tune into the Bat Around with Paul Valley and Zach Goodman every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon right here at Pressbox Sports. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food. 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn over 4100 North Point Boulevard. If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every Sunday with Rita on 105.7 The Fan. But also, if you need more of Glenn, um, what's wrong with you? All right, let's try to go through this kind of quickly if we could. We'll try to run through this. We did uh, a fun game. The only, you know, obviously the, the, the game pick. Congratulations to, of all people, Andrew Stetka. <laughs> Wait, was Charles in on the – what did Charles pick? Uh, for Charles, the? Picked, Charles picked the, the Chiefs. Okay, so Charles and Andrew Stetka both were on the Chiefs. And Everybody so they else. both get that point. Yeah. It, it's only relevant uh, – Andrew Stetka – Gets to throw one more point on uh, the season for him. So he's got that going for him, which is nice. He still finished very much in last place. Even being a lone wolf there couldn't save him. I believe that, by the way, somehow lost with a bullet despite getting 11 lone wolf picks correct this season. Go figure that. Now, everything else. Uh, coin toss. Significant. Yeah. Tails yeah. never fails, Griffin. I mean, it fails sometimes. Imagine if you lose this. Because you picked head, against the, the thing that never fails. Siri, it was Siri told me to pick them. ever. Tails. 
<laughs> this is the coin toss. Myself, Paul Valley, John Proctor. Tell me what Charles had. Charles had the tad tails as well. Because he's not an idiot. Uh, the anthem, the most controversial of all of them. Yeah. The anthem some people had at 202.3. DraftKings is where Griffin tells me we pulled our number from. DraftKings apparently is paying the under at 201. Yeah. At 201, paying the under. And by the way, a phenomenal national anthem from Chris Stapleton. Absolutely brilliant. So we will pay the under as well, which is great news for me. As well as uh, Griffin, Paul Valley, and John Proctor. What about Charles? Uh, Charles had the over. Ooh, could be Ken relevant. had the over. Ken Zalis had the over. Ken yes. had heads as well. He also had, ooh. Yeah. I didn't even look at Ken's. Oh, I know, man, I that, could, Ken too. that could be wild. <laughs> uh, will Travis Kelsey score a touchdown? The easiest yes in the history of picks. And did not take very long for that one to pay off. Uh, defensive touchdown. Big point for Charles and for Paul Valley as Nick Bolton arguably should have had two i'm still not certain about the other call but you know they decided to go with um, it being overturned but he definitely had the one so there was of course a defensive touchdown yeah. in the game there was almost also a, a punt return touchdown for a special teams touchdown but uh, Kadarius tony was stopped short at the five yard line patrick mahomes super bowl mvp but under 292 and a half yards under 200 yards for the game it's yeah. amazing like, everybody on the planet would say Patrick Mahomes had a miraculous game last night, and yet he finished under 200 passing yards, which is just wild. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, well under 292.5 passing yards. So points for Paul Valley, John Proctor, Andrew Stecka, and Ken Zalis. What about uh, Charles? Uh, Charles had the over. Charles so had Charles. the over. Paul, so Paul's 5 for 5. Is he really? Yeah. Tails under, yes. Wow, damn, what a, what a start. <laughs> This is a shame because I think most people would prefer that if anybody was in their underpants, it was probably Paul. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jalen Hurts definitely hits the over of combined passing or pa- passing and rushing yards of 291.5. What's the number that he ended up hitting between uh, the two? He had, oh, God, I can do this, 304 passing. So he hit it just with passing, plus 70 rushing, 374. Wow. Well over the number for Jalen Hurts. So that was an easy point for everybody except Griffin and Paul Valley. So Paul Valley's first loss of the week. What about Charles? Where was he? Charles had the over on that. Over as well. Yeah. The longest field goal over under 46 and a half yards didn't really even come close. 35 yards was the longest field goal of the game. So Griffin does steal that yeah. point. Paul Valley gets back to his winning ways. What about uh, Charles on that Charles one? Charles had the over. Charles had the over. The only one that had the under. No, no, Paul Valley also had the under. Um, Paul had the under on the field goal? Yes, he had the under on the field goal. I don't know if you reported incorrectly, but on the sheet it's got Paul Valley with the under. Uh, The point total easily surpasses 50 and a half, ends up going all the way up to 73. So that one did not not sweat it at all. Kyle Ottenheimer, John Proctor were on the under. What about Charles? Charles had the over. Had the over as well. And, of course, as we pointed out, only Charles and Andrew Stecka had the Chiefs. So all that in mind. It appears as though Kyle Ottenheimer had the worst week of everybody, but wasn't in our no, contest. No, he was not. Yeah. He I tried really six. hard to yes, get him he in. he did try. Uh, Andrew Stecka was also not in our contest, which is bad news for you because he went four and five. So now, comfortably, up near the top, Paul Valley, eight and one. What a week. John Proctor, myself, both six and three. What did Charles do? Charles did well too. I think he went seven and two. Seven and two for yeah. Charles. So no worries for him. And at five and four, 
Not a bad week. Would have made money. But in our competition, co-losers for the week, you and Ken Zalas. So we'll talk to Ken, find out when he wants to do this. But it's got to be a separate 24 hours. Like okay. It's got to be 24 hours with Ken pinned at the top of the page and 24 hours with you pinned at the top of the page. So you text Zalas, figure out. When he wants his 24. Exactly right. <laughs> you figure that out together, how you want to do it, all right? Make a time for it this week. I don't know if you need to buy a new pair of underpants for doing your Tom Brady selfie. I don't know if you've got appropriate boxer briefs yeah. at home yeah, for I recreating got, I got, I got Tom Lulu. I got some Lulus. You gotta, obviously got to grab your junk. Yeah. You, you have Lulu underwear? Yeah. Pretty nice. Is that a thing? Yeah. My brother got it for me. So. Oh, look at that. That's very kind. He knew this was coming up. Got <laughs> On his way. Got to grab your junk for the photo. You got to do the whole thing. But uh, 24 hours for both of you, both you and Ken Zalas, have to pay off the uh, penalty. As you went, you did, did a decent enough job, five yeah. and four. Literally lost because you went against the thing that never fails. Thank you. <laughs> Greatly appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, both no of problem. you. Both of you picked heads. Thank you. Stupids. Bunch of stupids. What's wrong with you? That was our uh, picks contest for the week for the Super Bowl. Our picks contest was brought to you by the best of print issue of Press Box. Final days. Literally final days. Before the week is over, there's going to be a new print issue of Press Box with Gunnar Henderson on the cover. So get this one right now for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find Press Box. You can read it all at PressBoxOnline.com. The Chiefs did indeed win Super Bowl 57 last night. Let's head down to Kansas City. I don't know if this man has slept at all. Uh, I am a regular with him on his show. He's been a regular with us over the years. He is my friend, Soren Petro, from 810 WHB in Kansas City, and he's with us now here on GCR. Soren, are you running off like more than an hour's worth of sleep at this point? Uh, actually, you know, uh, be, being an old guy, you can kind of schedule some things and move them around. So I, I got to sleep in a little bit this morning. Uh, wife handled both kids going to school. So I'm, I, I'd say I'm about four and a half hours. I'm with, doing all right. With all due respect to Patrick Mahomes, you would say she's the real MVP, correct? Uh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, okay. for sure. Uh, Seren, uh, and this, the, the biggest reason why the Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl champions again is blank. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, that's... I hate to be boring, but you know, in order, it's Patrick Mahomes one, Andy Reid two, Brett Veach three. Probably the the most uh, underrated part of it is the Brett Veach uh, part of the equation, and they did, and, and the job he did, and his staff did with, with assembling this roster. I mean, I think you can see the talents of Patrick Mahomes, and even when he's eighty five percent of what he normally is, that's good enough to beat almost anybody. Uh, Andy Reid, you see guys. I mean running wide open, I mean high school wide open for touchdowns against what is supposed to be, you know, the, the best team in the NFL and one of the most feared defenses, and yet they don't get one sack on his quarterback who's, you know, uh, largely immobilized uh, compared to what he normally is. That speaks to his greatness. But, you know, this is, and this is where I'd be afraid if I'm a, a Ravens fan, if, I, if I'm a Bengals fan, if I'm a Bills fan. You know, they're graduating out. Those teams are graduating out of their cheap quarterback stage. The Chiefs are done with it. They put it behind. Patrick Mahomes is the most expensive quarterback ever 
to win a, a Super Bowl, the, the biggest part of a cap to ever be taken up to win a Super Bowl. And, and to do that, you know, usually that's, that's the, the parachute that, that expensive quarterbacks have to drag that you know, brings them down and why all the other first contract quarterbacks are able to step in and win. That didn't happen. None of those teams I mentioned who are on those first contracts throwing the Jaguars who the Chiefs beat in the, in the first round who probably aren't ready, but they're already gone on to year three of, of Trevor Lawrence and his contract. You know, the job that Brett Beach did, 10 rookies played in the AFC Championship game. I have to look at that number uh, from yesterday. Eight of them on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, they, they were getting production, quality production, uh, from guys from their draft class. And that's just, you know, th- this is the time that people are supposed to be getting the Chiefs, and it didn't happen this year. Surrender so to that point, and I'm writing in a column today, it's why, you know, maybe statistically there will be ones that will stand out more significantly, but it's why, to me, this might be the most amazing postseason run a quarterback has ever had. Because, I look, Travis Kelsey's a monster. There's no debate about that. And Isaiah Pacheco looks like he's going to be a hell of a player for some time to come. But, I, you know, maybe the only team that's got a worse group of wide receivers on the field in the NFL is in Baltimore, right? Like, that, that to do this with that, to me, given the costs of now you have to pay your quarterback and you have to decide where it is you're taking a step back, for him to be able to put this run together, throwing the ball, you know, to Marcus Kemp in the AFC Championship game for a, ca- a cast-off in Kadarius Tony, and I'm not trying to say that there's nothing there. Like, I think Juju Smith-Schuster is a football player. I think Marquez Valdez-Scantling's a football player, though he looked lost on that one play last night. Um, I, to me, doing it with what he has makes it one of the most remarkable runs that a quarterback has ever had in a postseason. I would uh, amend one of your statements to Marquez Valdez-Scantling is an athlete attempting to play football. Uh, but uh, football players have football instincts. Yeah. Like, you know, turning away from the defender where the quarterback is going to throw you <laughs> open. Uh, yeah, to your point. And they have catch radiuses that are bigger than, you know, two feet because you have to catch everything off your chest. Um, it, but it speaks to your point. Listen, they got a guy who can run in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He actually, you know, clocked quicker than Tyreek Hill in 2021. He had one run that was faster than Tyreek Hill. He had the fastest run of the year. So they got a guy that could at least give him that speed thing. Even though he had limitations, it allowed him to do some of the things that Tyreek Hill did, some of the things that he did uh, in the offense, or at least pose the threat of doing it so that they could work elsewhere. To your point about Juju, uh, yes, you know, solid ball player, hurt a lot. We saw him miss games and leave games early. The the MO in Pittsburgh was accurate here. But he did enough to get him to where they needed to go, you know. I looked out at the AFC Championship game, and they went three wide at one point. It was Noah Gray, backup tight end. It was Jody Fortson, third-string tight end. And it was Marcus Kemp, you know, gunner on special teams. Those were the three wideouts in a three-wide set against the Bengals. Now, listen, they weren't real productive when all those wide receivers went down. And to your point about Kadarius Toney, listen, we love the punt return. We love the little gadget plays. But we've yet to see him actually run real wide receiver routes and be productive. For the most part, they get him the ball, you know, at the line of scrimmage and and just let his natural skills take over. So it was a bit of a motley crew with wide receivers, all the things I mentioned about the cap as well, and yet they were still able to get it done. I mean, I think this is one that the rest of the AFC for sure and and the Eagles and and Niners, who the Chiefs beat up pretty good in the regular season, are going to be saying, what do we have to do to beat these guys? Because now they've got like 12 picks in this next draft, and now they'll focus on that wide receiver position and getting it better this offseason. No, it's terrifying, Seren. Like, it's legitimately terrifying. It's funny. We used to talk about the golden era of quarterbacking in the AFC with Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, and, you know, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger. This, this might be better than that because the guy at the top is better than that. And I'm not afraid to say it. I, I don't know that Patrick Mahomes is going to prove to have a greater career than Tom Brady because Tom Brady did unheard of things. But from pure talent alone – it's indisputable this dude is the best thing that's ever happened to the quarterback position in the history of football. 
I, I think you're accurate on that. He has the same kind of will to win that Tom Brady does, but more athleticism. Now, don't get me wrong, and he said it in one of the uh, post-game interviews, you know, his 4.8 speed. Like, he, he clocked a 4.78 in the 40, not a 4.4. You know, he's not Lamar Jackson when he takes off running, but he's just fast enough, and, and he knows he has. I'll tell you, the, the thing about him that he has over everybody else is just an incredible spatial awareness. You, you certainly have to have that to play quarterback. Tom Brady had it. He could see when the defender would or wouldn't get there, when he could put the ball in certain spots. But Mahomes has it to even another level of, of understanding when to throw the ball, when a guy will or won't be open, um, you know, seeing that window before it actually happens. And then he has it when he runs as well. He seems to know always just how fast he is. Now he doesn't know how fragile his ankle is always. but right, and, right. and you saw it be a little bit compromised. But he, he has an unbelievable spatial awareness. And I think that's, that's what does take him to another level. Now, that, that ability to run also gets him hurt a lot more than Tom Brady, and we'll see if that doesn't uh, greatly shorten the career that he has. I don't think he's going to play until he's 45 when he's had a dislocated knee, a couple of different high ankle sprains. You know, at some point, he's got to get right. even more uh, you know, adverse to, to hurting himself. Oh, I, I, I certainly see that, but, man, you know, until that point, we're going to continue. I say enjoy. It's difficult for us in Baltimore to enjoy, but for the casual football fan, you're just watching something that – it, the dude is an alien. It's absolutely absurd. Seren Petro with us from A10WHB down in Kansas City. Let, let, me, let me go back to, to something, if I could, Seren. Um, you brought up Andy Reid, and there's no doubt. You know, and we talked about it on your show recently, in, in Baltimore, they've waited to hire an offensive coordinator, so it seems very much like maybe it was Brian Johnson they were waiting on, but it looks like he'll probably slide in as the Eagles' offensive coordinator, as the Colts' highway Shane, hi, highway Shane Strike, and Eric Bieniemy would make a lot of sense given John Harbaugh's history with Andy Reid. That if Andy Reid is trying to help Eric Bieniemy, this would be very logical. But we don't know what to make of how much credit Eric Bieniemy deserves for what the Chiefs have done offensively. If he's very much in the mix, the way that it's been reported the last couple of weeks, what should we know about the credit that Eric Bieniemy does or does not deserve for the Chiefs' success offensively? You know, and, and, and that's a difficult one because Andy Reid keeps it about as closed as, you know, he's Bill Belichickian and, and how closed he keeps everything and how tight-lipped everybody is around what actually goes on there. Here's what we do know. Uh, he, he would come with the, the blueprint that Andy Reid has sent a lot of people out into the into the coaching game with, and they've done very well. I think one of the real strengths of Andy Reid is his 12-month calendar. I don't know that anybody gets more done in the offseason than Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. His, his seven-day calendar. You know, they, they played, I think, their first eight games at a different time. Uh, like, literally every time you could play, they played at noon, they wow. played at three, or here, you guys won, four, right. uh, the Sunday night game, Thursday night game. They had every Monday night game. They had every time, and yet they were ready to play each and every time it, that it comes around. He, he, that blueprint would come with Eric Bieniemy. He would have the, the massive bank of plays that, that Andy Reid has already drawn up. What, what he wouldn't have is whatever the skill is of Andy Reid of dissecting his opponent. Uh, but nobody has that, right? So he's as qualified as anybody. I think what's held him back from getting a head coaching job is one, he doesn't call the place. Now everybody says, well, Doug Peterson didn't and Matt Nagy didn't and they got the job. Yeah, but Eric Bieniemy's also worked exclusively with Patrick Mahomes. And it's not just, okay, Andy Reid's there. It's also, okay, Patrick Mahomes is there. Look, Andy Reid fired Sean McDermott from the Eagles going into his last year. And it wasn't because he couldn't do his job. It's because he knew that it was going to be a tough last year in Philadelphia. He didn't want McDermott to have that uh, around him. He knew he would get a job somewhere else. 
and he knew that he had like one more step to complete before he'd be a, a quality head coaching candidate. So he pretty much sent him out. Sean McDermott said that several years ago in an interview that he, you know, Andy talked to him about why he was doing what he was doing and why it would be ultimately better for him as a head coach uh, to, to be a head coach. I've got to believe that the reason we're hearing his name in offensive coordinator jobs is because Andy Reid has had that conversation with Eric Bieniemy, and he knows that, listen, you've got to go prove it someplace else. The same way Marvin Lewis had to leave the Ravens, mm-hmm. go to Washington for one year before he finally got the head coaching job. And I think that's why you hear his name everywhere, because he's now open to taking that kind of job. It's terrifying to think that there's a world in which he's choosing from Washington and Baltimore, and it's not an easy decision to make. Like That's a terrifying <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, I think it says that he might be worried that they don't have a quarterback. So we'll, you know, we'll deal with that conversation internally in the future. Um, Soren, to your point, like I, they're right back. As long as Patrick Mahomes exists, they're the team to beat in the AFC moving forward. Correct. Yeah, they are really the big personnel decision. Chris Jones will enter the final year of his deal. The way Tyreek Hill was headed into the final year of his deal last year, and, and the question will be: Do they extend him? Uh, does he say he wants a, a contract extension, or he's going to hold out? I think that's the thing that we will watch first. And they've proven that they will trade a guy. You know, now they've got quite a few picks already uh, in this year's draft. It'd have to be something that's probably picks on down the road, uh, which I don't know that the Chiefs would be adverse to. I think they'd listen to it. But I think you know, how much is Chris Jones going to ask for? Is he going to ask for something that can work? within their cap and still get him paid, or does he want to be like Tyreek Hill? Tyreek made it very clear. We talked about it all last season that he wanted to be the highest paid receiver in football. That was something that was very important to him. How much does Chris Jones, who said he wanted Aaron Donald money the last time he went through a contract discussion and ended up with a franchise tag on him. Does he, does he sit out? Does he threaten to sit out? And does he ask for that kind of money? I think that's the big question uh, for the Chiefs. But they've got plenty of draft picks uh, to try to address the different spots that they have needs. Uh, an edge rusher, Frank Clark's probably going to be gone. Uh, they'll let him go. Uh, but the, an edge rusher and obviously wide receivers are places that they've got to address. But, uh, again, they've got plenty of picks and, and had a great draft last year. Uh, I, I doubt it'll be as productive this year just because that was a bit of an anomaly when sure. you hit on that many guys, but uh, Brett Beach and his staff are, are, I think, starting to make a name for themselves that they know what they're doing, too. It's not just Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I, I, a couple of our old friends, obviously involved, Orlando Brown, had a really nice Super Bowl, as he wanted to remind everybody afterwards uh, with a pretty great tweet uh, about putting it on yeah. a t-shirt. And uh, happy for, I know it didn't really make a difference for you guys, but happy for, Brandon Williams is one of the best dudes I've ever been around covering football he's truly one of the there is a picture of brandon williams holding and feeding my son when he was a baby and we were out doing an event and i needed to feed him and he was like hey let me do it i mean it's just one of the truly great guys i've ever been around in this game so really happy for him uh getting a taste and a little cameo appearance down in kansas city so i'm happy for you my friend i know it's easier to do this or it's more fun to do what we do when uh, everybody's invested and everybody's listening and everybody's excited about it enjoy this week at Seren Petro on Twitter. Appreciate you, as always, for doing this, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Glenn, and thanks for the kind words. Appreciate it, buddy. Back at you. All right, brother. Seren Petro, A10WHB down in Kansas City, checking in with us here on GCR after the Chiefs win the Super Bowl last night. Look, I, I mean, I really mean this. That golden era of quarterback play in the AFC, that Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger era, dude, this is better. <laughs> and I know that's insane to say. But it's, it's better and it's more difficult to go up against for multiple reasons. You said Joe Flacco when you were talking about I, that golden I, era, I right? didn't, but the uh-huh. argument that people would make is, okay, but you were able to break through that golden era with Joe Flacco, right? I, and that's the argument some people might use for why, well, maybe you could do it if you move on from Lamar Jackson. Patrick Mahomes is better than any of those guys are. 
to the point, I don't know that he will have the career that Tom Brady had. It's kind of crazy to me how significant the Buccaneers beating the Chiefs in that Super Bowl was. Like, if that doesn't happen, we're already sitting at it being 6-3. Yeah. And Patrick Mahomes is only 27. I mean, like, there's a real chance at that point. It's it's difficult for me to fathom Patrick Mahomes surpassing or even matching seven Super Bowl titles just because, my God, but I can't tell you that he won't. He's an alien. He's that good. The top of the list is the most talented quarterback we've ever seen in the history of football. Once I thought that was Aaron Rodgers. He's surpassed that. Pure talent. Just the ability to do things. I get that the Peyton Manning, somebody might still say, is the most cerebral quarterback in football history. He's the most... He is the smartest at the line of scrimmage quarterback in football history. Maybe. But not the pure talent of Patrick Mahomes. And then you look around and there's Joe Burrow and there's Josh Allen and there's Justin Herbert and there's Trevor Lawrence. And it goes back to, I don't know how you look at all of that and say, yeah, but maybe the Ravens could find another one. I, as I keep saying, of course, the answer can always be they could. Maybe. But I, I just I can't fathom you thinking that's the solution or getting so caught up in the words fully guaranteed or thinking that the difference in what they would pay Lamar Jackson versus fully guaranteed is so overwhelming that you don't do it and risk not having a quarterback at all when that's what you're up against. The quarterback that's so good that he became the first one ever to do it without wide receivers. Ever. I get it. Travis Kelsey is a monster. Travis Kelsey, at the moment, is probably the second greatest tight end of all time, and he might prove to be the greatest tight end of all time. He's on his way to being the greatest postseason pass catcher. Well, I mean, mean, it's nuts. It's nuts. That's what you're up against. And even in some world, we're like, well, hey, he could get hurt for a minute. You've got four other insanely good quarterbacks within that conference that are ready to pounce. I can't fathom your thought process being, well, that's why it might be okay to take a step back. The argument, of course, being, well, you'd have all these assets. and You can improve the entirety of the roster. I, I, What? God bless it, man. Have all the assets you want to have. How do you not understand that the game is the quarterback? The quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback. Football has changed. That's the other reason why this era of quarterback to me is more daunting than the original golden era of quarterback play. And I, by the way, do include Lamar Jackson with this group. We just don't know if he's going to be here. Because it's so much more difficult based on the rules of the NFL. There's a reason why we were wondering if maybe the Chiefs should have gone for two when they went up by seven in the fourth quarter instead of letting the Eagles go for two. Because it felt like a fait accompli. If you don't try to make it a two-score game, the Eagles are just going to tie it up. I can't believe we didn't include an octopus bet. Uh, I'm yeah, really no, mad at myself no, no. for not really mad sorry. at myself. I'm sorry. It paid off for a lot of people. There were a lot of very happy campers with uh, Jalen Hurts coming up with the fourth quarter octopus last night. Um, 
There's a reason why we think about these things because we know, we know how difficult it is to play defense in the NFL. And it doesn't mean you don't try. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to have good defensive players. It doesn't mean those things, but we know that ultimately it comes down to the quarterback. The quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback. Period. I just can't imagine that thought process. I can't believe that anyone could sit there watching that game. And I, I hope it's not, you know, Eric DaCosta. I can't believe that anyone would sit and watch. You can go ahead and call Jeremy. It's fine. We'll, we'll sked, stagger the brakes. I can't believe anyone would watch that and say, well, that's why you could do this without Lamar Jackson. Come on. And the Eric Bieniemy stuff really is interesting to me. Like, I know it's not as simple as if tonight Eric Bieniemy is announced as the new offensive coordinator in Washington that it means Lamar Jackson is gone. But it's hard to not connect those dots, right? It's hard to not connect the dots of the Ravens waiting this long to hire an offensive coordinator, John Harbaugh's relationship with Andy Reid, and think that Eric Bieniemy, who is, I don't know, the most qualified potential offensive coordinator hire ever? And think... Oh, God, if he were to decide to go to Washington, what does that say about what's going on in Baltimore? Why would you choose a dumpster fire over one of the most well-thought-of organizations? And there can be reasons, right? It could be just you get paid an absurd amount more by Washington than you do in Baltimore. Maybe you know something about the next ownership group in Washington, and they've given you a hint that you'd essentially be a head coach in waiting. That There could be reasons beyond just Lamar Jackson's status, that Eric Bieniemy would choose Washington over Baltimore. But I'm telling you, I even knowing all of that, if tonight we find out that Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator in Washington, I'm going to have a lump in my throat about what that means about the future of Lamar Jackson. And again, it also could mean that the Ravens never were in on Eric Bieniemy. really. Adam Schefter reporting they are makes that difficult again to stomach, but it's possible that the guy they were holding out for was Brian Johnson and that Brian Johnson is now just going to slide in and become the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia with Shane Strike and headed to Indianapolis, and so they lo- miss out on that chance. Today's show is also brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and by a Toyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits Check out buyatoyota.com for new deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. This man was in on the Kansas City Chiefs, so I assume he had a pretty good weekend from the Big Bad Morning Show on 105.7 The Fan. And you see his picks every day at pressboxonline.com. He's our friend Jeremy Kahn, and he's with us now here on GCR. What's going on, brother? How are you? I'm good, man. I made so much money on the Super Bowl yesterday. I'm now a 2B free subscriber, so I'm trying to decide if I want to watch... Stop. Who you, made the potato salad or the roast of Mr. Peanut? You, so, that's not bad. Uh, you weren't actually duped by the commercial, right? Like, I, No. Okay, I can't believe. Like, I genuinely believe that people are kind of showing their asses. It was very obvious that the shot of Burkhart and Olsen was not a live shot at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, that, if you were duped by that, I don't know what to tell you other than you're a boob. <laughs> I couldn't believe any people were showing their ass by saying they got duped by it. 
Yeah, I was about 80 milligrams of edibles deep, and I still wasn't confused. <laughs> I was more than 80 milligrams of uh, of, of cheesesteak and uh, Kansas City yeah. barbecue oh. dip deep into my evening as uh, Mrs. Uh, Clark came sounds through. sounds awesome. Oh, my God. She came through big time last night, man. I Oh, boy. That was a lovely evening. Um, how'd you do otherwise? How'd you do besides just uh, having the Chiefs? Uh, it was a good day. It was kind of a an interesting weekend overall. Um you know, with yesterday, I, my top plays, I had Northwestern, who knocked off Purdue. I had the Grizzlies, who lost to the Celtics. And then um, I'm trying to think of the other uh, college hoops games that I had. Like things – oh, I had the, the over in the the, um, the Flyers game along with the Chiefs. So, like, I hit four of my five top plays. And then on top of it, I mean, I, anybody listened to me all week long, I said the running back overs, running back overs for – the Chiefs uh, from scrimmage yard. So both of those hit. Um, and then I, I talked about Pat Mahomes as the MVP. That hit. I liked the under in the first half, lost that. So, I mean, there were quite a few that I, I hit on and felt good about. And then I hit two out of three anytime touchdowns. Uh, the one that I didn't get was Dallas Goddard. I, I thought he was going to be um, an interesting piece to that offense. I mean, he caught quite a few passes. Yep. never got any end zone. I, uh, I really regret not playing more anytime touchdown scores. I, for, I realized, like, literally after the game started that I had not played a bunch of it so I'm like oh god and then I was too late to get on Jalen Hurts so I grabbed yeah. I grabbed Kelsey as quickly as I could because my god like I mean that's the easiest bet in the history of football and then I grabbed Pacheco and I was I, Jeremy I'm not even kidding I was literally hitting the button to grab AJ Brown as he caught that bomb for a touchdown like literally oh, really? as I was about to put my bet through I'm like son of a bitch um, because I definitely saw it being a high-scoring game. I thought the anytime touchdown scorers were a good play last night. Yeah, you know, it. when you see a high-scoring game like that and two offenses that kind of spread the ball out, like, I mean, let, let's be honest. Like, you know, like, A.J. Brown's the number one target on the Eagles. You know Kelsey's the number one target. But, like, you've got multiple running backs in the backfield, so you don't know who's going to run it in. You've got two quarterbacks that have been known to, to run it in, especially Hurts. Um, and, and how goofy was the first touchdown of the game with looking like Gainwell punched one in. And all of a sudden, here's that quarterback sneak that can't be stopped. So, I mean, look, Hurts played amazing. Um, I was, it's probably one of the best performances in a loss that I've seen. No but, doubt. Um, no doubt. But, yeah, I mean, look, and, and anybody that's telling you otherwise with the game, unless you thought it was going to be a shootout and you got exactly what you want, you kind of feel fortunate the way it unfolded, you know, if, uh, if you had the Chiefs. Um, there were a lot of people that were on the Eagles, and I know we'll probably talk about that penalty call, but I, I, I don't know how you get away from it. So, it's um, – that, to me, that that it had to be called. So it just, yeah, like, it drives me nuts. This is insane to me, and I I admit that the first time I had the feeling of like, okay, I I get why people aren't going to be happy about this, but after watching it again, it's one of the most obvious calls that I've ever seen, and if anything, I think that they deserve great credit for not panicking given the nature of the moment well, and making sure they get got the it's. I don't know how you can even argue that it wasn't an obvious call. And I'm a guy that bet a bunch on the Eagles last night. Dude, I when the Eagles were down eight and the number went up to plus 415, I had to hammer it because I, I couldn't believe yeah. the number was that high in a one-possession game. Like, that's insane to me. So I was disappointed that the Eagles lost because I had a bunch of money riding on it. But it it's such a blatantly obvious call when you actually watch it. I... I'm befuddled by well, I, people still trying to argue it. You, you know what I'm befuddled by? It's it's the excuses. Like uh, I had a I had a bunch of people uh, like call in, tweet me, text me, and say, 
well, that was an uncatchable ball. Well, okay, that's There's great. It was an uncatchable it, ball. Right. That's what you think. But it was a hold, so right. it doesn't matter that it was uncatchable. It's irrelevant. It has nothing to, they, they call holding calls on plays where the ball's not even thrown to their side of the field. Because a hold, a hold is a penalty the same way a false start or a delay. How would you like the clock to run down to zero and go, ah, come on, guys, it's the last minute of the game. Right. Like, what, what do you mean? It, that, that shouldn't be a delay of game. It's, right. like, it's the last minute. Like, you know, stop it and reset it. You know, it's just that stuff boggles my mind. And then I listen to Dan Orlovsky go on and on and on about, well, they didn't call the penalty on Juju uh, or, or for Juju earlier in the game on third down. And it's like, well, why does that make it okay that they didn't call this one? Right, so they want them to get more calls wrong? <laughs> like the, the idea yeah, is I just don't, I don't understand people's line of thinking. And it's okay to say, hey, man, that sucks that the game ended that way. I'm listening to you. But it didn't. They were still in field goal range. The only thing it was going to allow us was a chance for the Eagles to go on a drive and tie it. That was the only difference. Well, I, I think there was still enough time at that point that the Eagles, given what we had seen from them offensively, could have won the game. If, oh, well, if fair the enough. I, I'm just saying, like, you're I, probably playing for the time. Probably. You know, like, I, but the, Jerry, the timeouts and everything. To your points, right, this is – I absolutely understand the disappointment. I 100% understand. This was a classic – this in moments felt like that fabled Monday night Chiefs-Rams game from a few years ago, right, mm-hmm. that we all look back as one of the best games of the modern era of football, of this, you know, almost arena football-like version of football that we've gotten. Um, this in moments last night felt like that. And so you wanted it to have a bigger closing act. You wanted it to have a more – miraculous or amazing way that the game came to an end. So I can absolutely understand the disappointment of the final act of the game being a penalty. But the argument that, well, you got to let the players decide the game on the field. They did. (laughs) Like, that's exactly what (laughs) happened. The Chiefs designed a brilliant play that got Juju Smith-Schuster to the corner and open and when he was beat, James Bradbury grabbed him twice because otherwise he was going to be wide open for a touchdown. The players yeah. decided the game, period. The officials, I, I, again, the argument is just don't play football in the final two minutes. Change it into something else, some other game where there are no rules in the final two minutes, which is insane. And, and you know, I retweeted somebody this morning, a college football analyst that used to play in the league, and he had said, the officiating has been all over the place this year. Um, I hate that the game ended the way that it did, but without a shadow of a doubt, that was 100% a hold and should have been called. It's, like, uh, all three of those things can, can be true at the same time. You right. know, like, I, I just, it, it just bothers me because now there's this thing like, well, you can't call that in the last few minutes of the game. Well, why not? It's Correct. a foul. It's what like, else are you allowed penalty, to call or not? Like, it's, it's hilarious to me, and everybody's like, well, it was more egregious. Sure, but like, imagine the same people. All of these people that are flipping out are the same people that were losing their minds about Nikhil Roby Coleman four years ago. They're the exact yeah. same people that were infuriated that that was wrong. Like, I, the call should be correct, and there is no debate about whether or not this call was correct. It was, I mean, literally the definition of of somebody trying to slow down a receiver because they knew they were beat. And, by the way, credit to James Bradbury for just walking in and being a man about it and being like, yeah, I, I, I grabbed his jersey. I did what I did, hoping I could get away with it because he knew he was beat on the play. By the way, how refreshing is that to hear an athlete say that? God. Like, you know, just take ownership over it. Like, yeah, I mean, look, we, we do this stuff all the time. And I, I'm listening to some of the people that say, hey, if, like, who was it? It was another um, – 
God, it was another offensive player. And I'm trying, it's kind of weird. Like the offensive players are on Bradbury's side of saying it wasn't a whole, or, you know, on the, on the Eagles side, it seems like the defensive players are going, yeah, he held him. He yeah, tried to gain correct. an edge. You know, was hoping it didn't get called and it got called. But like people saying, if you didn't call that earlier in the game, you can't call it there. Well, yes, you can, because if you didn't see it earlier in the game, then you didn't call it. So refs aren't going to see everything. So you want them to turn a blind eye because they missed one earlier. So they're just supposed to miss this one now. I, like you can, only key, you can only call what you see. And this is the conversation I have with referees in basketball all the time. Like anytime I get in an argument coaching a high school game with a ref over a call, if he says to me, hey, coach, that's not what I saw or I didn't see it, I don't have an argument at that point right. because that to me, that's the ultimate, you know, they, 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 they threw the Trump card down because you can't call what you can't, what you don't right. see. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. what, what do you say back? I mean, you could say you're blind. <laughs> like you could say, yeah, that. you idiot. Give <laughs> like, me a tech. Yeah. Right. You can do that, but there's nothing else. There's no, they're not debating what the rule is. They're not debating. They're just sort of telling you like, Hey man, didn't see it. Sorry. It's what it is. And see the point. And like, I always, I am defensive a little bit about officiating. Like it is, there are 22 players on the field on every play in football. I there are things that I think are insane to miss. But what's happening on a play to play when like you miss a hold or you miss something like like I can understand that's going to happen. There are egregious things. Like I would hate if the Super Bowl was determined by something like earlier on in the game when the Eagles tried to get down the field and snap the ball quicker to prevent someone from seeing what really happened on the plate. That, to me, would be egregious and awful. And it's stupid. I will yell forever about how dumb it is. College football has figured out exactly what to do in these situations. If there is a play that is even questionable, stop the game. Don't ask the, the coaches to officiate the game. Don't ask the coaches to decide whether they value their timeouts more than they value a play happening. Get the effing play right. Figure out what happened on the play and don't allow for it to be manipulated by a team that's racing down the field like the Eagles did in the NFC Championship game to get a snap off and prevent getting the call correct. That, to me, is awful. It's atrocious that the league continues to do this. Getting a play well, right is them. not. Tell them, get your ass out there and you find that bleeping dog. Right. That's what you do. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Exactly. Sir. Yeah. Well, well done, man. I don't know. It's it, I am. Um, I'm. Befo- I. I really am lost by why we're trying to make it seem like there was some sort of controversy just, at the end of the game. You know what bothers me though, man. Like so, it goes back to Buffalo, Kansas City of last year. We saw one of the greatest games we've ever seen, and yep. ultimately, what happened after the game, we complained about the overtime rules, and I get it. Like it's just. Yeah, he, he, sometimes you feel cheated in it. We watched one of the best Super Bowls. I, I really think it was one of the better Super Bowls I've a, seen, especially in recent years. No doubt. Yeah, absolute classic, down double digits, what they did in the second half, the Eagles answering back, um, and, and the old story of Pat Mahomes probably having too much time and, and able to work it out. And we have the penalty. And, like, if you go back to la- or two weeks ago with Cincinnati, like, he shoved him when he was out of bounds. It's a penalty. You can say what you want. You can be unhappy with it. You can be a Cincinnati fan and say, this sucks. He did. He's not hurt. He's not, you know, but he shoved him when he was out of bounds. And the same thing this week, like he held his Jersey. Correct. The, the guy even said as much. I grabbed his Jersey and people are like, we had a caller today. It was so funny where he's like, man, I don't think they should have made that call. And then we went, the guy said he grabbed his Jersey. Yeah. I heard him, but yeah, I, I had, I had a buddy. Ahead. I had a buddy of mine who said the same thing. <laughs> well, he only said that because he knew it wouldn't get him anywhere to whine about it. I'm like, what the <laughs> This is un- so like the mountain of evidence that you are stacked against and you're still trying to argue it. I have no choice but to just kind of tip my cap and say, you know what, dude? 
Good for good for you. Good for everything <laughs> yeah. says you're wrong, but the hell with it. I'm just gonna keep fighting about it anyway. Sure. Do you? You yep. do you, man. Let's go with that. Jeremy Khan is with us here on 105.7 The Fan. All right. Um, uh, just one more from the Super Bowl. Um, I I feel bad about this because I genuinely like Rihanna. Like I really enjoy her catalog. I think she is a hell of a performer. And I know that maybe some of what she might have done otherwise probably had to be reconsidered because she was pregnant. But I thought that was about as nondescript of a halftime show as as you I, like. I, I'm not saying it was bad. It certainly sure as hell wasn't the Black Eyed Peas like that. But it was. It just to me was kind of something that happened. I don't understand the idea of like let's do 30 seconds of 15 songs instead of maybe trying to like enjoy. You've got four or five really classic songs. Maybe try to separate them somehow. That was sort of, to me, what made last year's halftime show so good. Well, uh, I'm different. I love this year's halftime show. Really? And and again, it could have been because I was in my spaceship. I thought visually it was stunning. (laughs) I thought the the women empowerment thing was super sexy. Um, I I was so into the halftime show that I didn't realize that she sniffed her hand or smelled her, whatever. You know, like, um, I didn't realize that part of it happened, but... um, I thought she was great, man. And and I was talking to my son as we were watching it going, the over under was like nine and a half songs, which I'm going, that seems like a lot of songs to be playing. I think she played like 12 or 13. I think it was 12 was the number I I saw. Yeah, because it's hard to tell when they're going in and out because sometimes you hear like an instrumental or you hear a chorus and you're wondering, okay, are they playing that song? Because sometimes it's really, really short. It might be like one line from a song or one like hook. But, um, but no, I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I'm not telling you it was the best one I've ever seen. I just was into it the whole time, and when it was over, I could have watched more. So um, I, I, Man, I maybe right. I just really like her music and didn't realize how much I liked no, it. I, that's, maybe I, I know, just thought she's this sex symbol I couldn't take my eyes off of, I even though know she's how much I know how much I like her music. That, to me, I and, and think this is eternally, because I got into a debate with a buddy of mine about this. My thing is I want to celebrate the songs, and I don't love her 12th greatest song the way that I love her 4th greatest song. Like, I... Umbrella to me is a classic song of this era. It's a song that will stand up 30, 40 years from now as a truly classic song. Separate it, right? Like, give it moment mm-hmm. to breathe and celebrate. And I don't want to compare everything to Prince. We'll never see anything like what Prince did at the Super Bowl. It wasn't a halftime show. It was the most significant moment in pop culture history. It was unbelievable. But we remember it so fondly because he let things breathe. He let Let's Go Crazy breathe. He let Prince has a catalog deeper than anybody else that's ever played the halftime show. And yet... He only picked like three of his own songs to put in the halftime show, allowed them to breathe, and created iconic moments. We'll never in our life forget Purple Rain in the rain with him doing the phallic guitar thing. Like, we yeah. will remember that eternally. Give the song an opportunity to breathe a little bit. Let me celebrate it because it's a great song. And that was the, the, that was the part that just I couldn't shake from. I don't want to hear 30 seconds of that song. I want to hear the thing. Yeah, and, and I think the thing I was upset most about is that if you if you want to talk about the halftime show, people were calling, like, saying how original it was. And I don't know how many people realized this, but they were talking about the fact that Rihanna ran her finger over her crotch and then by right. her face. Tom Petty and three of the Heartbreakers did that when he performed. <laughs> he was actually the first to do it. 
Well, somebody um, reminded so, me. Hang on. Know, somebody did remind me that uh, when Bruce Springsteen did it, he literally uh, slid dick first into the camera at one point. <laughs> like, he literally did a bit where he slid on the stage with his, like, here's a 60-year-old man's penis right in America's face. So Yeah, that, I, I said... I, when Tom when Tom Petty did it, I was ready to climb Dick Mountain Mouth first. You know, it was just it was an amazing performance. So. Oh God. Um. All right, Jeremy Cotton, one hundred five seven. The fan. Where do you go from here? I don't know. Are we I done? Don't, I don't. I don't know where we. Can go. we just say I love you now and then go? Know, right? Or like, how does this work? Just, so, all right, I, I I'll do this. Are are you? This is a genuine question. You guys do four hours every day. Are you going to be doing more? off-season football or other sports like if you percent it you build a pie as a forester like to talk about right with a blame pie if you built a pie right now please i had this feeling last night somebody brought this up like what do you do when the football season's over i'm like well the dirty little secret is we just keep doing football like it's mostly still football when the football season's yeah. over like the old joke in like you know, they, they, there was a joke years ago. We play both kinds of music, country and western, right? Like, well, we 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 cover both sports around here, in season football and out of season football. Like that's what we do. If you built the pie, and you put every other sport together and compared it to off season NFL for the next four months, which slice is bigger? Uh, the, the football. Yeah. And and I wish it was I, I wish it was baseball and I think baseball is probably the next next biggest like slice of that pie. Sure, sure. Um, you know, obviously because it's starting, but you get the draft, you get the schedule release. Now with the Ravens, you you got your quarterback situation, you've got your offensive coordinator situation. Are you signing other free agents? Is the team getting you know, there's there's just so many things to talk about. And I mean just a peek behind the curtain, you know, we were doing a show last week and we had Maryland as a topic and you know, coming off of a, a big game or like, you know, the rest of their schedule, we had Orioles off season playoffs, Super Bowl, all that stuff, all these, all these topics to talk about. And the one thing that we said that, that drove the listeners to call in at a, an alarming rate was we were talking about Lamar and what do you do with the contract? And, you know, do you want to see him traded? Do you want to keep him? And like, boom, it just blows up. And yep. there, it just seems like everybody has an opinion on it and everybody likes to talk about it whether it's fair or unfair to some people that don't want to hear it, you know, like, Hey, it's, it's the off season. Can we talk more baseball? Trust me. We want to talk it, but, uh, off season football becomes a necessary evil. That's the reality, man. That's uh, look, there, we assume there's going to be an offense coordinator this week. Um, I, yeah, I, what's I'll wrap. Where are you with Eric B Like, do you think that Eric B is a great offensive coordinator? Do you think that Eric B is a guy that had Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know the the latter, you know, if you want to talk about him having Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes, that's absolutely true. I know that he's interviewed a bunch of times and he's never got a head coaching job. And, and I wonder what that is, if that's just them not being fair, if some of the rumors are true that he's not a great interview. All I want to know is can he call plays and can he make the offense better? Because uh, that's what I care about. Um, some of the names that I was interested in, I, I mean, I, there's a few that are still out there, like Brady, um, you know, the quarterback coach, off, I mean, offensive assistant coach in, in Buffalo, the, the former LSU offensive coordinator in Carolina Panthers. Like, I liked him a lot. I like Frank Reich, who's gone. Uh, I'd be interested. I like, I like the idea of a guy that's been with a successful organization and bringing him in and trying it out. Um, ultimately, I think we end up getting something where they announce the offensive coordinator and you're going, who's he? Oh, he's the quarterback right, coach at right. Rutgers. Great. You know, yeah, like sure. that's, that's ultimately what I feel like is going to happen. 
Um, I mean, I'd still get, I just don't know why they waited this long. And it really makes me think that the enemy is a factor there and terrifies me about yeah. whether or not he ends up in Washington. Like that just is not a great sign. Yeah. What if he picks Washington I, over Baltimore? How J- weird Jeremy, I wrote about it. Like the, the only thing you can think is that means that he knows that Lamar Jackson is gone. Right. Like that's the only, yeah. again, it's unfair because he might've been, just been given a boatload more money by Washington or mm-hmm. some sort of promise that like the next ownership group is sees him as a head coach and waiting and, Ron Rivera has already decided to retire after this season, so like he knows he's going to be the guy. There's a million reasons why he could choose Washington, but I'm telling you, if tonight we find out that he's in, and maybe the Ravens were never all that much interested in Eric Bieniemy, but if tonight we hear that rumor, the first thing I'm going to feel is, oh God, Lamar Jackson might really be gone. Like that's the first thought that's going to come through my mind if he ends up being announced in Washington. Uh, all right. At JeremyCon1057 on Twitter is, of course, where you follow him. And the Big Bad Morning Show every morning on 1057. The fan, of course, is picks every day. Basketball, hockey, college basketball, golf, whatever it is, at PressBoxOnline.com. Appreciate you, buddy. Love you. We'll talk to you again next Monday, all right? Thanks, man. I'll see you guys. JeremyCon with us here on GCR. Coming up tonight, Stan the Fan Charles, Ross Grimsley. They're going to catch up with Aberdeen Ironbirds general manager Jack Graham. That's at 6 o'clock tonight, Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline, PressBoxOnline.com slash video if you miss it. Um, it was a huge weekend in college lacrosse. I get there was something else going on this weekend, like the Super Bowl, I understand, was overwhelming. But my God, what a weekend it was. So many storylines to start the season. And I think the biggest one was the one that I got to see up close and personal, which was Loyola stunning and ultimately in kind of blowout fashion. Um, stunning the defending national champion, University of Maryland Terrapins. We're going to catch up with Matt Hughes, Loyola defender, next after one of the great defensive performances we've seen them put together. That's on the way. It is a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. The Baltimore County Police Department is hiring. Entry-level officers started over $60,000 and over $64,000 for lateral officers with $10,000 signing bonuses available. Plus, cadets started over $32,000. Great benefits are available like medical, dental, and vision insurance, tuition reimbursement, 15 sick days per calendar year with no limit, career advancement to more than 20 specialized units, and more with further incentives for military service members and veterans. A passion for service, a career for life, with the Baltimore County Police Department. Find out more at joinbaltimorecountypd.com or call 410-887-5542. Must be a United States citizen, have a valid driver's license and a high school diploma or GED equivalent. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. There's something for everyone this February at Laurel Park. Come watch live horse racing every Friday through Sunday and join us on Saturday, February 18th for the Winter Stakes Spectacular featuring six stakes races and $900,000 in purses, including the General George and Barbara Fritchie Stakes. The fun doesn't stop there. Stick around for our winter Mardi Gras celebration with live music, delicious food and drinks, and a carnival atmosphere. Plus, don't miss out on President's Day holiday racing on Monday, February 20th. Visit laurelpark.com for more info. That's laurelpark.com for more. See you at the track. That first sip. 
That first bite. Mmm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point Boulevard. Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. Bet $5 with DraftKings and instantly get $200 in bonus bets for anything that you want to spend it on. I know that we've moved past football season, but the Daytona 500 is this weekend. Do you want to bet on uh, something related to the NBA All-Star game? Probably the over. Although, didn't the over miss by like a point last year or something like that? Didn't was it like the first time in yeah, I think so because they two did decades. The, they did the Elam ending. Well, even with the Elam ending, the expectation was still that the over was going to hit. But yeah. I feel like it came a one team like went on like a little run, I guess, and then yeah, like you needed every single point. Or, in did, the Elam or ending. was it the other thing? Did I controversially say? I know everybody says bet the over, but I got a feeling on the under, and then the over hit anyway. I don't. There's something there because I remember we did we we did a, a some content about it. I don't remember exactly what it was, um, but those things are coming up this week. You can bet on fights. You can bet on whatever it is that you're into. You can bet on it with two hundred dollars in bonus bets when you bet just five dollars with DraftKings. Get that and other great sportsbook promos and specials right now at pressboxonline.com/offers. That's pressboxonline.com slash offers. John from Little Rock this morning says, if the enemy signs with Washington, the Ravens are the dumpster fire. I'm not, I'm not willing to go there, John. I, I get what you're saying. And again, I'm telling you, if whatever the thing, if we see tonight across the ticker or we get a tweet or something that says Eric Bieniemy is going to be the next offensive coordinator in Washington, I am telling you, my first thought is going to be OF. And that's not fair, right? Because, again, I'm telling you, there are other scenarios. There's a scenario where Eric Bieniemy just wasn't the Ravens guy. We're feeling that way because they waited this long. But it really is possible that the guy that they liked was Brian Johnson, the Eagles quarterback's coach, who we thought was going to be available until the Colts decided to go with Shane Strykin. And, again, we're assuming that now means the Eagles are going to promote Brian Johnson to offensive coordinator, but I guess it's still possible he could choose to leave. It could mean that Washington just offered an insane amount of money, or there is a lot of like behind-the-scenes belief that the ownership situation is going to be straightened out here pretty quickly in Washington, and maybe the new ownership, Jeff Bezos, whoever it is, has already talked to Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera said, like, I want one more year to try to fix it, and then I'm going to be done. And they've told Eric Bieniemy he can be the head coach in waiting. There are scenarios by which Eric Bieniemy could go to Washington that aren't specific to he doesn't want to be in Baltimore because he's been told Lamar Jackson isn't going to be the quarterback. But we're still, we're going to think about that. We're going to. It's going to be the first thing that comes to our mind if 
we get that news in the next day or two. Like, it's going to be the first thought we have of, oh, God, what would that mean if we think that the Ravens were in the Eric B. enemy market and he ended up choosing Washington? Like, that's, there's no way of shaking that. That will be a story. What was the story this past weekend? Man, it was a lot of fun to be there. An unbelievable atmosphere at Ridley Athletic Complex on Saturday for an awesome season-opening victory for the Loyola Lacrosse team as they take, took take they took down yeah they took down I talk for a living they took down the defending national champion Maryland Terrapins. Joining us now, defenseman for the Greyhounds, he is Matt Hughes. He's with us here on GCR. Matt, it's Glenn. It's great to catch up, man. Congratulations on an awesome victory, and thank you for taking the time for us. Yeah, thank you, John. I'm happy to talk with you guys. Matt, I know that normally there's like a 24-hour rule for this type of thing, but I'm going to ask you to like enjoy it with me for a little bit longer today because can you just can you describe in words the atmosphere, everything you guys went through last year, knowing that no one on the planet was giving you a chance to beat Maryland on Saturday, what all of that meant for you guys to put together the performance that you did? Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, our school, you know, the fan base showed up. Um, they created a really good atmosphere for us to play in. Um, I think after last year, you know, we were pretty disappointed with how things went. Um, you know, just working all fall towards this first game, um, we just, you know, it's what's been on our minds since, you know, the end of last season. Um, it's just been really good. And, you know, for our team and Coach Toomey, I don't think it was much of, of a surprise for us. You know, I think we knew we were going to get that one. Um, I know nobody else thought we were going to win that game, but, you know, Coach Toomey said, you know, it's not a surprise if we win. You know, that's what we're expected to do. And that's what we went out and did. Where did that, you know, it's so funny you bring that up because I talked to Charlie a couple times leading up to the game, and I'm telling you, he projected that confidence to me. He was like, I, you know, I'm not going to, you know, come out and say we're just going to, we're going to go out there and kick their butts. But he was like, I, I think that we are in a better place than we were a year ago when obviously you guys took one on the chin down in College Park. I think that we've got a really good chance. Where did that confidence come from? What did, were you guys doing right? in the weeks leading up to the start of the season that gave you that belief of, I don't care that nobody's beaten them in the regular season in three years. Like we can absolutely do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it just all started from, you know, the summer and the fall, just, you know, not worrying about any other team, but just worrying about ourselves and just getting better every day and just having a really competitive atmosphere during practices. I think that's what's kind of, led to us realizing how good we can actually be um, and just the culture that we have with our senior leadership. You know, we got a lot of older guys on this team, you know, paving the way for the young guys. But I think we just started practicing really hard and recognizing that we can be a really good team and that we are a really good team. And, you know, if we just play together and stick together, you know, things, things will go our way. Would you have believed it if I told you you were going to win that game and only win four faceoffs on the day? <laughs> um, looking at the stat line, no, I probably <laughs> wouldn't have said uh, we'd win that game. You know, I think they beat us in almost every statistic of the game, but I think it just comes down to you know the goalie battle and yeah. just how hard we worked and the shots that we were forcing them to take. Uh, he is Matt Hughes from Loyola. He's with us here on GCR after their excellent win over Maryland on Saturday. I, two things that jump out about that. One, to your point, I mean, that the kid between the pipes, and I know it helps to have a hell of a defense in front of him, but Luke Stout moving into this role as a starting goalie, like, 
how do you possibly describe the way that he was seeing the ball and how on point he was from the shoot on Saturday? So kind of all, all fall, you know, Coach Toomey has been telling us that, you know, we got a new goalie in cage. He's a junior, but, you know, he hasn't gotten many starts. But as a defense, you know, me and Cam Wires now it's been we got to help out see the shots that he wants to see and see those shots that he can save, you know. And we were really trying to force some bad shots and, you know, get in their hands and just really disrupt their shooting because they're such a good shooting team. So we need to make them take bad shots so Stout can have a great day. Well, you guys successfully did that. It's one of the great defensive performances I've ever seen. I know after the game, Charlie made a joke like, hey, you know, we had a pretty good defensive performance against them back in the national championship game in 12, but that was a long time ago for you guys. Yeah. I, I mean, you bring up you, Cam, obviously the, the short stick D-middies, I mean, Peyton's. Peyton's a menace. Like Peyton is. Yeah. Uh, everybody in lacrosse hates it when they realize that dude's on the other side of the field because he's going to wear you down. The pride that you guys had coming into the season to say, you know, if if we got to win this way, right? Like this isn't maybe a traditional like Pat Spencer, uh, you know, Lindley and Olmstead offense. Like if this is how we're going to win, we're going to go do it. The pride that you had going in and how good you felt to put together that type of defensive performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think last year, you know, we had some really good players with, you know, Peyton Mustang, Ryan McNulty, just all of our guys. We were really good individually, but, you know, things just weren't going our way, and I don't think we were really gelling as a defensive unit. So this fall, you know, one of the main things Coach Toomey has been talking about to us is connecting, just connecting as a group and connecting on the backside, you know, we're all really good players, and if we just connect with each other and we play good on-ball defense, then we'll have a slide ready to go, and we're just going to be a really cohesive unit. And I think that's led to a lot of success in the fall and obviously some success on Saturday. Yep. So it's funny because Charlie told me before the season that you have really stepped up and taken on the role as a vocal leader for this group. Can can you tell me about like where that came for, from you and maybe finding your voice that way? And, and maybe it's just, hey, dude, it's my fifth year. Like, I got to be that guy. That's the way that it goes. Yeah. But um, becoming that guy and taking on that responsibility, where did it come from for you? Yeah, I mean, I've never really been much of a leadership kind of guy. You know, not really the most outspoken person. But just with what happened last year, I think, you know, it was really a time for me that I thought I really needed to step up. And if we're going to be a really good team, you know, someone was going to have to step up. And I think myself and both Cam Wires have both done a really good job defensively, just, you know, getting connected with this group and, you know, just trying to get better every day and keeping a really high energy in practice and just keeping a really good mentality that, you know, it's always about the next play and, you know, in Maryland, we just can't take any plays off. And, yeah. you know, for the rest of the season, we're just not going to be able to take plays off. So, you know, just kind of being a vocal leader and keeping our guys up and just having hope that, you know, things are going to go our way. How much of it, you know, it's it's funny. At the beginning of our broadcast on Saturday, uh, Matt, I, I brought up and we had um, Scott Ratliff sitting up in the booth with us on Saturday, obviously a legend yeah. in this sport, right? Yeah, I heard and, about that. Well, and and I, I said something like, you know, I I gotta feel like part of this is just, hey, we're the Loyola lacrosse, right? Like we're not one of the little sisters of the poor. We're not, 
Like this, the idea of Loyola beating Maryland shouldn't be crazy. We joked we're not that far removed from Loyola winning a national championship against Maryland, right? Like, how much of this is a pride factor for all of you guys about, you know, Charlie brought up you guys, you know, there's there's not a player on this roster right now that's won a Patriot League championship. Like, how much of it is we're the Loyola lacrosse, we're supposed to be one of the top programs in the country. It's on us to get things back there this season. Yeah, I think we've kind of took that approach. You know, we haven't won the Patriot League, and and it is our job to maintain that standard. Um, so I think a lot of us have just been thinking about previous Loyola teams and you know how great they've been, but how under the radar they've been. Mm-hmm. I think kind of feel the same way about us. You know, nobody really thought we were going to win that game, but I think just as a team mindset, you know, we know what previous Loyola teams have done, and that's. And that it just shouldn't be out of the question for us. So, you know, why shouldn't we beat Maryland in the home opener if they're the defending champs? You know, we have a good team and, you know, they're normal lacrosse players too. You know, they can be beaten. Um, They're not invincible. So, you know, that's kind of just the approach I think we took. I I think it's I, it was evident on. By the way, Scott called you guys winning for what it's worth. So we got to give him <laughs> some credit. He said he was like, now he he thought it was gonna be a one goal game. You guys handled it by a lot more than that. So uh, you did prove everybody wrong. Um, Charlie brought something up after the game. He said he brought up the fact that Hopkins opened up the season by going down to Jacksonville, and clearly we now know Jacksonville's pretty stinking good after they turned around and beat Duke. And they handled their success was the word that he used as they turned around and knocked off Georgetown at home. How important is that for you guys as you move on from what was this wonderful victory? But knowing you got a hell of a team coming here to play next Saturday and you got to prove this wasn't a fluke. This wasn't just one game, one matchup early in the season that you have to keep making the statement about who you are as a program. Yeah, I think. You know, he's been talking about handling success, and I think, you know, that comes down to our guys getting healthy for this week and, you know, just keeping a level of intensity that just makes everything competitive during practice, so we're still getting better, you know. I don't think we want to just get complacent. You know, there was some of that vibe last year of just complacency, and I think, you know, as a leadership and I think all the captains and everybody's in agreement that we need to keep pushing and we need to keep pushing ourselves uh, to just keep on getting better because we have a really good team coming on Saturday, um, you know, and they're going to fight. And, you know, it's, how are we going to respond? How are we going to how are we going to handle our success from this weekend moving forward? No doubt. No doubt. I can't wait to see. It's going to be another, I mean, electric atmosphere on Saturday, man. As, as a lacrosse fan, I can't ask for a lot more. Like, I can't believe they pay me to come out and do these games because this is just an awesome way to start the season with these two games back-to-back. Uh, Matt, are you, are you on social media anywhere that anybody can give you a follow, Twitter, Instagram, anything like that? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. Um, my name is Matt underscore Hughes 50. Uh, that's about it. I don't have Twitter, so good for you. Instagram's all, all good. No, you, you ain't missing anything. Like I promise you that it is. Your life is way better for not being bogged down by being on Twitter. Uh, Matt, dude, I don't know what else there is to say. It was a joy uh, being out there for that, and what a performance! I can't wait to see more to, of it as the season goes along. Congratulations and uh, best of luck as you get ready for Saturday in Johns Hopkins. Thank you for hopping on with us for a few minutes this morning. Yeah, thank you, Glenn. Uh, 
Yeah, I hope you enjoy this game on Saturday. It'll be a good I can't, one. can't wait, man. That's Matt Hughes from Loyola uh, checking in with us here on GCR. Uh, I, I can't say enough. I Look, I am blessed. I, I say this all the time. To get to call games for the best players in a sport, and, you know, I've had the joy to, to, to witness studs, right? Both, you know, I, Stevenson, I get to see studs all the time. I don't think people realize that the D3 level of lacrosse is insane, especially from the teams that are really trying, right, at that level. But at Loyola, obviously I got to do Pat Spencer, right? But it, not, it ain't just Pat Spencer. Peyton Rizanka is a monster. Matt Hughes is a monster. Cam Wires is a monster. And I don't take it for granted. Like, I hope that what we project in a broadcast is that I greatly enjoy getting to do it. I'm very fortunate to get to watch these guys who are at the highest level of the game. And that thing on Saturday, man, I, I talk about this all the time. I, if you're a Washington Capitals fan, God bless you. I'm not, I, I don't want to fight about it. I just, what we have here... There is so much cool here to be embraced. And there was a packed stadium, 3,000-plus people, that were breathing that in on Saturday at Ridley Athletic Complex. It was intense. It was awesome. And I expect the exact same thing. Again, weather permitting, because you never know what you're going to get in February. I haven't looked. I don't want to look. If it's good news, tell me. If it's not, don't. But as long as it's not miserable on Saturday, I expect the same thing. And I'm appreciative of the fact that I get to be a part of that. I'm appreciative of the fact that, you know, they they pay me money to come out and watch those games and attempt to describe what it is that I'm seeing. And on Saturday, it was awesome. It was just an awesome, awesome experience to be a part of that thing. And I can't wait for this Saturday. I, I, I can't wait. I am amped. Like, there is, my blood is flowing. I was talking to my buddy Aaron LaRosa, the SID at Hopkins. Like, they got to play another game, right? Like, I want to go full in. I wanted to put Hopkins players on. They're like, hey, Glenn, we got we got Carolina. Like, kind of a big game. <laughs> we got to worry about that first. And then, then we can talk about it. I'm like, all right, I get it. I get it. Like, we can't go into full-on game week. I want to give this, like, football game treatment. I'm so excited <laughs> about it. It's so cool that early on in the year you have these two local teams it did not have the most significant expectations coming into the season, but both post massive victories. And again, how much better does the win over Jacksonville look for, for Hopkins as well? The chance that Hopkins could come into Saturday having beat Jacksonville, Georgetown, and North Carolina to start the season. It's going to be awesome, man. If you're just always going to be more into the NBA or the NHL, I, and I get it. They show those highlights on SportsCenter. Like, that... That gets more attention on Twitter. I, I'm not, I'm not at a fighting. It's I don't want to fight about it. I don't want to tell you that you're, you're a bad local sports fan because of it. I just wish that more of you would embrace the amazing things that we have locally. And what you're going to see on Saturday is going to be amazing. It's going to be an incredible atmosphere. It's going to be an awesome game. It's just going to be a whole lot of fun. Is somebody here? Is it somebody that we know? All right. Well, we'll see what's going on there. I, I hope they're friendly. I hope that we like these people. Um, 
Just spectacular, man. Just a spectacular thing to be involved with, and I can't wait. Cannot wait for this. And by the way, on the Maryland side of things, I think they're going to be fine. I, I think they're going to be just fine. There's some plumbing issues uh, going on at the other. you got to uh, be kidding me. At the, the, on the other side of the building, and they wanted to check to make sure ours is. Uh, it's so funny. Our buddy uh, Barstool Banks this morning posted. Um, uh, this is our buddy Brian. We love. Well, I love Brian. He's a great dude. He, I saw him post something about at his office there was a bathroom out of order, and he posted something like, this should be illegal the day after the Super Bowl. Do you know how much cheese we all consumed <laughs> yesterday? <laughs> Can't We cannot have plumbing problems the day after the Super Bowl. Of all days, we have to, on the, ni- the sat- Sunday afternoon, every business has to make sure the plumbing is fortified <laughs> because I- the day after the Super Bowl cannot <laughs> be the day that these things become issues, man. There is way too much junk food that has been consumed in the last 24 hours for us to have to think about. We are, I think I've said, we're remodeling a little bit at our house because we only have one bathroom, and so we need another. I've got two sons. When they become teenagers, I ain't sharing one bathroom with with two teenage boys. That ain't happening. So in order to get another bathroom, there was no logical way to do it except to, to add a bedroom on the bottom floor, and that made sense because we're going to get old one day and, my wife is never leaving this house. Like, we're going to get old one day, and we're not going to be able to go upstairs. So it made sense for us. Okay, we'll put a bedroom downstairs, and we'll, we'll get a bathroom that way. But in addition to the one bathroom we had, we had the tiniest toilet downstairs. Like, it's just a toilet. Literally underneath the stairs itself, we had the, whoever had the house before us, in order to have another toilet in the house, literally just put a door a toilet and a sink there is no you can't even stand up like you're gonna hit the stairs (laughs) it's just for the sake of having another toilet but at least we have another toilet but because we're doing this work right now last thursday they took away our other toilet and we're down to one and yesterday that was a bit of an issue a busy toilet bit of a problem when i all credit to mrs clark who just she gets into dip dinner like, when I suggested it last year, oh, okay. last year, because we don't spend many Sundays together, because typically I'm, you know, Working. doing po- post-game or yeah. things like that. So, like, we don't get to spend a lot of Sundays together. So, when the Ravens are eliminated, and I'm home on a Sunday, she's not, like, used to it. So, we're not back into, like, we don't do Sunday dinners or anything like that. So, when I proposed, hey, look, you know, if you don't have a big Sunday dinner in mind, why don't we just do, like, a dip? That her eyes lit up. And so yesterday we had a conversation in the morning. She was like, well, I'd like to try something fun because we didn't love the cheeseburger dip from the uh, championship weekend. It was just fine. She said, I'd like to do something different. I said, what if we tried to do something that kind of reflected Philly and Kansas City? And she was like, I'm listening. What do you have in mind? I said, well, what if we tried to do a cheesesteak dip? She said, all right, I'm down. Like she enjoys a cheesesteak. And then I said, we could do like some sort of barbecue dip for Kansas City. And so she did Philly cheesesteak dip. She did a, which was good. She did a Kansas City style, and I get that like it would have been more Kansas City if it had been brisket or burn ends or something like that, but she did pork. Pork um, with Kansas City style barbecue sauce in a dip. Just, I mean, it basically was just pulled pork with cheese. Like, I mean, it was, it was perfect. Like, it was the perfect thing to dip something into. It was excellent. 
And then um, she did her traditional buffalo chicken dip, but she did it in a football-shaped bread bowl. Like, she went all in last night. I, My God. It was the greatest performance she's ever had in her life. Like, she gave birth to two children. This was more impressive. <laughs> I'm being just as honest as I can. But the problem was we only had one bathroom. Only had one operating toilet in the house. I was not drinking, thankfully, but I had I been, I would have just used the outside bathroom for that problem. This there did end up becoming a bit of an issue last night in the Clark household. And it's a real issue in corporate America today to not have your plumbing working per- correctly. That can't happen. I, are, I, we o- are we I, okay? I, what a s- I feel like we're going to be okay. I used it when I first came in. All right. Just, you know, for, for a number right, one. We're good. But, like, all right. All right. All right. We got it. We better be good. Yeah. We better <laughs> be good. All right. Uh, great stuff. Appreciate uh, Matt Hughes hopping on with us and uh, look forward to Loyal. Ho- what, they need you? Yeah. Can you can you take us to break? Yeah, sure. We got one more break we got to hit. Can we still do that? Are you the expert on all I, things? <laughs> you are we gotta talk to advisor you. for the plumbing? All right. When we come back in, we will get a tidbit and we will get to be able to wind things down for a Monday edition of the program. Today's show also brought to you by, uh, well, just a reminder that gambling can be fun, but you should set a limit and stay within it. Remember that if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, you can call 1-800-GAMBLER or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit and stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's our annual Best of Issue. On the cover, we recognize Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman as our 2022 Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, and he sits down with us to discuss how his arrival in Baltimore was simultaneous with the Birds' turnaround. Also inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year throughout the local sports scene. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich, hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. The Baltimore County Police Department is hiring. Entry-level officers start at over $60,000 and over $64,000 for lateral officers with $10,000 signing bonuses available. Plus, cadets start at over $32,000. Great benefits are available like medical, dental, and vision insurance, tuition reimbursement, 15 sick days per calendar year with no limit, career advancement to more than 20 specialized units, and more with further incentives for military service members and veterans. A passion for service, a career for life with the Baltimore County Police Department. Find out more at joinbaltimorecountypd.com or call 410-887-5542. Must be a United States citizen, have a valid driver's license, and a high school diploma or GED equivalent. 
If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com slash pressboxonline, and you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grindr. Wait, did I say Grindr? I don't think that you would find it on Grindr. Not that I know it's on Grindr or anything, I swear! On second thought, you know what? I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. Have, have you made contact with uh, Ken Zalis yet? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. Mm, I would like answers about okay. this. I, can, I also I need to answers. touch base with Melissa so we can get the pork mm, uh, popsicle right. thing figured out. We got it. Maybe I'll, I'll assign you that this week. We got to get the Melissa and John Proctor. I mean, I can go ahead and I guess do my underwear thing. You know, I guess whenever I get whenever I get home today. You just go ahead and knock it out. Yeah, just knock it out. All right, just make sure that Ken wasn't yeah, planning just, on doing the same okay. thing. Make sure that Ken knows he, he also lost, lost <laughs> right? Like, make sure that he's aware that he also has to do it. Um, and then, yes, if you'd like to go ahead and do it, and then we will get things figured out to pay off the popsicle one, and then we'll just wait to find out when Andrew Stecka is planning on returning home. He did toss out, I think he gave me an idea of when he might be ready to come home and pay uh, his season-long penance. It will be this summer at some okay. point, but uh, I will look forward to that significantly as Andrew Stecka will indeed be in here to dress up like the worm Dennis Rodman, eat a worm burger courtesy of our friend Tim in Bel Air, I believe Tim told me he did a hoagie dip last evening wow. in honor of because uh, uh, Tim has a history of doing um, opposing city inspired foods. Tim actually inspired why it was that I asked my wife to do the various dips last evening. Uh, but Tim will prepare that, and he will also, of course, uh, do the the worm Scotty Too Hottie style, and then take a Rikishi style stink face. What are you giggling about over there? Like what just Ken texted me. He's like, whatever. <laughs> what are you mad about Ken? You lost. <laughs> I mean, you had a decent week. You went five and four. It's not like it was terrible. It was just that you picked heads like an idiot. It's so stupid. Why that, would you pick heads? Why would you do that? I'm mad I picked the over. I'm mad I picked the over. No, no, no. On the, other, the other things, the other things are totally understand. The only thing in there that, that it's almost that's as, the only one that doesn't that it's almost I'm as not dumb. Mad about. It's the almost as dumb as it would have been to pick not a touchdown for Travis Kelsey, right? Yeah. Like that was the most obvious thing on the board. The second most obvious thing is you take tails because tails literally never in the history of humanity, every coin flip of all time has always been tails. Everyone knows that. It never fails, Griffin. Never. I, I, you I, two idiots I don't took have a coin. Heads. I could probably flip a coin right now and it'd probably be heads. No, it wouldn't. It's never what, failed. I better what? It's never failed, Griffin. I'll go 48 hours. Ever. It's <laughs> never failed. The history of time never failed. Um, and we have a legitimate situation here uh, in yeah, the office? Yeah, yeah, we do have a legitimate situation. Yes. Uh, could, uh, All right, it looks like, yeah, I'll, I'll do mine today. I'll do my underwear pick today. And when's Ken going to do his? Uh, later in the week All at right. some point. All right. What's he got to get tanned or something? What the hell? <laughs> Needs a couple of days. Just said he can't today. He just said he can't today. I don't think he can change the reality of what it is that we're going to be seeing, buddy. I think it's going to be what it is. Uh, I uh, I might be making a trip to uh, uh, Glory Days at some point oh, today. Okay. Might be. Not He's for the there. food. Might get something while I'm there. Might get some wings or something while I'm there. But there might be a uh, a walk that your pal is taking. <laughs> It's so funny. The moment that you said there was an actual plumbing problem. You like, didn't have to go. I started to feel something happening in my stomach. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it could be a long, long day. And of course, of all the days, Griffin's got me here until like 530 today so I could record something for tomorrow's show. 
That was my plan. Like, my thought was, well, just leave, right? Like, I'll just leave, go work from home. Now that I got internet again at home, I could just go work from home. I could, you know, go to the gym, do those things. Nope. I am stuck here. Stuck here until 5.30 with no plumbing. It is unacceptable. It is very unacceptable for that to be the case. All right, we are uh, winding down for a Monday edition of the program. Let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is also brought to you by PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Just because football season is over doesn't mean that betting is over. Lots of huge events coming up. The Daytona 500, we are, you know, start thinking about it, right? We're on the cusp of the World Baseball Classic and then the start of baseball season and the Masters and the NCAA tournament. The next couple of months are huge betting months. And you can take advantage of great offers that are still available, like $200 worth of bonus bets when you bet $5 with DraftKings. Go to PressBoxOnline.com offers, click on the DraftKings link, get signed up, and there's plenty of other offers available to you for you to take advantage of. Again, PressBoxOnline.com offers. What you got? All right, got a couple from uh, after after last night's uh, the big game, last night's Super Bowl. Uh, Jalen Hurts now joins one other player with three rushing touchdowns in a Super Bowl. One other player? Yeah. Is it Tim Anderson? It is not Tim Anderson. Three other rushing touchdowns. All right, well, I mean, I'd be stupid. Emmett Smith. Not Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith had two um, at some point. I forget one. Walter Payton. Not Walter Payton. It was in 1998. 1998. It wasn't Emmett Smith. 1998. It was the, so January of 98. So it was a 97, 97 season. season. So t- oh, Terrell Davis. Terrell Davis. Yeah, Terrell yes, Davis. Terrell Davis with the Broncos yes. had three rushing touchdowns. Yes. Um, he also became the first player, Jalen, Jalen Hurst did the first player to rush for multiple touchdowns and uh, have a passing touchdown. Ah, congratulations! Yes. First, sir, first uh, Super Bowl. And player. he's never won yeah. the Super Bowl. I mean, and I, he's never won the Super Bowl. It's a tough. I saw somebody today say if there was ever a time for a losing player to be MVP of the Super Bowl, you could make the argument. Yeah. Like, it's happened once before. I think famously we, we brought it up last week. Chuck Halley is going to go into the um, Pro Football Hall of Fame in this year's class. Uh, he was the MVP of Super Bowl V despite the fact that the Baltimore Colts defeated the Dallas Cowboys. He's the only losing player to ever be named MVP of a Super Bowl. And I saw that float around like if there was ever an argument. I, I would agree with that if not. Again, there are two problems with that argument. The first being the fumble, fumble right? Yeah. Like the fumble, it he could still have been MVP if the Eagles won, but for sure, despite the fumble. But the fumble really invalidates any argument for him to be a losing team MVP because he did also contribute to the loss in the process. And then the second part is there can't be a really good candidate to be MVP on the winning team side in order for a losing team to have an MVP. Patrick Mahomes... The only drive in the second half the Chiefs didn't score a touchdown was the one where they purposely stopped themselves on the one-yard line. If they didn't purposely prevent themselves from doing it, they would have gone four for four touchdowns in the second half. Patrick Mahomes, while, again, statistically it wasn't his greatest game in the history of his career, he was a very good candidate for Super Bowl MVP. So because of that, there was no argument for Jalen Hurts to be a losing MVP. Uh, in the last 40 seasons, teams who have a fumble recovery touchdown, as we talked about that fumble, are 5-0 and in the Super Bowl. Now 5-0 and after the Chiefs uh, uh, won, won last night. So okay. if, you, if you get a fumble recovery touchdown, 
team's going to go on the win the game. That's, that is kind of wild. That is kind of wild, right? Um, and now teams are now 2-26 and 26, uh, when trailing by 10 or more points at halftime of a Super Bowl. 2-26 and 26 all time. Who is the other one? The other one is, of course, 28-3. to three, the, the, Oh, the right, yeah, what am I talking yeah. about? Yeah, obviously. Damn. My um, so 2-26 and 26 when you trail by double digits. It is kind of stunning to me that – that it's only two. I get it. It's not an easy thing to do, and not all of these were ten point. Like this was a ten point game. Some of these could be seventeen, twenty four. Like that makes it mm-hmm. very difficult to accomplish. But it is strange to me that it, you know, and yeah, no one's come well twice. twice. The, and and it, but it's that that there's thirty occurrences of it happening. Mm-hmm. The best teams in the league, and only two of them have been able to pull it off. That's a little bit. I I wouldn't expect it to be fifty fifty, but I would expect it to be more like eight and twenty two or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then Jalen Hurts also set the record now for most rushing yards by a quarterback in the Super Bowl with 70. And I want to see if uh, you can round out the top 10 quarterbacks with the most rushing yards. Uh, who, who who are they to have the most rushing yards in the Super Bowl? The most rushing yards in the Super Bowl. So the top 10, yes. Top 10. Steve Young. Steve Young is fifth. He had 49 in 1995. I mean, we're we're eliminating Jalen Hurts. I don't have to say yes, him again, yeah. right? So you have two of the ten. Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick is third in 2013. He had 62 rushing yards. Uh, he was third. So yes. these are not high numbers. No, they're, yeah, they're not crazy high. Um, they're all at least. I guess the, the lowest is 35. So. Yeah. Oh, it's just 35. Phew. Um. John Elway. John Elway did not have at least 35 rushing yards in the Super Bowl. A little surprising, if I'm being honest with you. Fran Turkentan. No, not Fran. That's also very surprising. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is on this list. He is eighth. He had 39 in 2015. Uh, yeah, Cam Newton. Cam Newton, 45 in 2016. Puts him sixth. Hauser's bouts. Hauser's bouts. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, Steve McNair? Steve McNair. He is number two, so he held this record really? since 2000. He held this record 64 yards in the 2000 Super Bowl. I don't remember him. I mean, I remember the one play, obviously, late in the game was huge that set them up in order to have the heartbreak of getting to the one-yard line, but I don't remember a lot of other rushes in that game. Um, I mean, Mahomes? Uh, Yes, Mahomes had 44 last night, and so now he is uh, seventh on this list. Okay. Looking for three more. There's there's just not good options is the problem. Looking for number four, and then nine and ten. ten. I mean, Donovan McNabb wasn't a runner, but I'll just say Donovan McNabb. Not Donovan McNabb. There is not Aaron Rodgers. Not Aaron Rodgers. It's a little surprising. This guy did it in the guy number four. He did it in 1985. He, <laughs> what? I don't ask you to do that. Okay, okay. sorry. When I ask for him, all right, I won't give you a hint. 85. I, I Joe Montana. Joe Montana. Joe Montana had 59 rushing yards. Sure. In that sure, Super Bowl, he did. Sure. More than Steve Young. Ever did. Uh, you said there's two more? Two more. We're looking for nine and ten. All right. Uh, give me something. Okay. Uh, this guy did it. Uh, he did it this millennium. Did, did it this millennium. Between 2000 and 2010. I'll tell you that. Between 2000 and 2010. And he did not win. And he did not win. 
Jake Delhomme. Not Jake Delhomme. NFC. It is an NFC team. It's an NFC team that lost in the Super Bowl between the Uh NFC team that lost Kurt Warner? Not Kurt Warner. Does uh They did lose. They lost to the Patriots. Yeah. I know I have that fact correct. Feast one more. What? They lost to the they lost to uh Big Ben and the Steelers. Oh, Matt Hasselbeck? Matt Hasselbeck. That he is a uh, number he's number ten. He has thirty five. He's thirty five rushing yards. Makes so zero sense. Uh then this guy did it uh before nineteen eighty. Oh good. Yeah. Bart Starr. Not Bart Starr. Len Star. Dawson. Not Len Dawson. Kenny Stable. Did it in nineteen seventy nine. Roger Staubach. Roger Staubach for the Cowboys. Roger the Dodger. You Actually, rushing that yards. probably would have been a decent guess, but at thirty seven is almost that's almost nothing. <laughs> And that is your top 10 most rushing yards by QB. Tidbit was also brought to you by the print issue of PressBox. Again, final days for this print issue before it is gone. Go get it right now. Our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year, Allie Rutschman, is on the cover. And coming later this week, a new print issue of PressBox with Gunnar Henderson on the cover. You're going to want to check that out. Uh, Again, get it right now at your neighborhood Royal Farms for free or read it all at PressBoxOnline.com. Tubular is brought to you by the Baltimore County Police Department. They are hiring. JoinBaltimoreCountyPD.com is the website. The phone number is 410-887-5542. Entry-level police officers start over $60,000 a year. Lateral officers over $64,000 a year. And cadets at over $32,000 a year for entry-level and lateral officers. A $10,000 signing bonus is available. They are hiring. You can go tomorrow. Just show up and take the agility test tomorrow morning. You got to get over to Parkville, the Northeast Regional Recreation Center, starting at 8:30 a.m. Show up, take the agility test, or you can show up on February 25th at the Public Safety Building in Towson, 700 East Joppa Road, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Do the written test, do the agility test. You can apply right there on site. Plenty of opportunities for you if you have been looking for a bit of a change in your life, you've got a passion for service, and want a career for life, the Baltimore County Police Department. Join BaltimoreCountyPD.com. Here's what's coming up totally tubular-wise. By the way, what happened to Towson on Saturday? Yeah, they went to overtime, and then uh, just, I mean, obviously I couldn't watch. uh, What do you mean, obviously you couldn't watch? It's on flow. It's on flow. Oh, okay. Like what? What do you mean? Obviously, you couldn't. Like I was knowing. I want, like I, like I was supposed to know yeah. that you had big plans on <laughs> Saturday somehow. Uh, um, yes. No, I was watching the stat broadcast. <laughs> that's a rough one, man. Yeah. That was not. Yeah. I did yeah, not, not expect great. that. They try to uh, shake it off as they travel to William and Mary tonight at seven o'clock. Always harder to have to play both. I've I've said that for a very long time. Unfair to have to play both. But uh, Towson at William and Mary tonight at seven on Flow Hoops. Morgan's at South Carolina State at 7.30. Coppins at North Carolina Central at 7.30. You've got to go to the respective websites in order to watch those games. No Big Ten hoops this evening. The rest of the college basketball you can find at glennclarkradio.com. NBC Sports Washington, Wizards Warriors at 10. NBA TV, Nuggets Heat at 7.30. Fox Sports 1 for the CONCACAF U-17 Championship Tournament, a matchup between the U.S. under-17 team and Trinidad at 8 o'clock, the USA Network for Liverpool and Everton at 3, and then WWE Monday Night Raw at 8. Any non-sports highlights of note? Not really. The Bachelor's on, of course, on ABC. Uh, Fallon's going to have Elizabeth Banks and Kelsey Grammer on. Um, and then Seth Meyers is going to have David Harbour and Catherine Newton. 
Uh, and then, then, of course, on the History Channel, it's the History's Greatest of All Time with Peyton Manning. And he's going to do the top 10 greatest race cars on the History Channel. Okay. There's that. Got that going for him, which is nice. <laughs> sure. I'll be, uh, I'll be not doing that, <laughs> for the record. All right, Tubular was also brought to you today by your local Toyota dealer and by Toyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out Toyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Thanks today to Jeremy Kahn. Thanks to Seren Petro from down in Kansas City. Thanks to the great Len Elmore, and thanks to Matt Hughes from Loyola. We'll get all of it up in the greatest hits section of the... Oh, my God, it's so good. ...tab at glennclarkradio.com. On the program tomorrow, we're going to uh, dive into some more NFL draft stuff, our weekly draft segment. Our friend Tony Pauline from Pro Football Network will join us, longtime draft analyst, and also uh, Baltimore native, University of Maryland, uh, Minnesota running back, Muhammad Ibrahim, who is expected to hear his name called... During the NFL draft, we're going to catch up with him, and uh, Patrick Stevens will join us as well. Talk uh, some Terps as they get ready for Purdue and talk about this wild weekend that was in college lacrosse. All of that on the program tomorrow. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including the Baltimore County Police Department, Problem Gambling, Royal Farms, the Costas Inn, Maryland Jockey Club, Grade 8's memorabilia, Maryland Vascular Specialist, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Monday evening. Go Towson, go Morgan, go Coppin. Duke sucks.